Shut up and sit down. Hello strangers and welcome to Strangers in a Cinema. I'm very excited to be here with our big review of the year with co-hosts uh, Pete Wall and Grace Williams and myself Paul Anderson. Grace, how are you? I'm so lovely, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Pete, are you alright? Uh, also lovely, yeah. Uh, uh, another lovely <laughs> member of the team over here. And um, yeah, you're right, Paul, that this one has been building for a while um, and as we mentioned on the last show, has kind of consumed quite a lot of our lives so it feels quite good to finally get the opportunity to sort of get all of this opinion and list making out there so that we can move on with like other parts of our personal and professional lives so um yeah i mean what have we got and how have we structured this thing because there's a lot that we need to cram into today's episode so yeah we're mixing up the format a little bit so we're not going to do a feature review as such the focus of the show will definitely be our top 10 films of the year so all three hosts are going to run down the top 10 films of the year in the usual way we run down our top lists uh we're also going to do uh, a section called i can't believe i haven't seen uh which is stuff that we may have missed that we think might have made our top 10 list had we got to see it uh somewhere in there as well will be our bottom five films we don't want to labor too much on the dredge of the year so we're not going to run down 10 of the worst films of the year just five of the worst films that we've seen um and that's pretty much it, isn't it, Pete? I think that pretty much makes up the bulk of the show, yeah. unless some other was taken. Oh, and some honourable mentions as well. I think if we've got, if we can squeeze them in, and they aren't covered by other people's list, definitely some honourable mentions of films that you know that were really good, really, really good, probably, but didn't quite make the list. So yeah, that's uh, yes, that's about the size of it, and it kind of goes without saying, obviously, that these lists that we come up with are purely subjective. They're just going to be the way that we've seen the films that we've seen this year. N- none of the group of us here has probably seen absolutely everything, but the interesting thing as far as I'm concerned and maybe you guys too is just the chance to put forward a case for why something goes above something else and something else goes below something else so from that point of view this should be a fertile conversation for the next 90 minutes or so um should we get on with it then and get right into the first sort of question for today's show that I posed to you guys in the chat before we started which is Do we think that it's been a good year, 2018, a good year for film in general? And I know it's a big question, um, but but what what do you guys feel about this year compared to your average year of releases? Do you have a strong opinion either way? And if anything, what's defined 2018 in film? Are there any themes and things like that that you pick up on doing your lists that are worth talking about? Over to you guys, I guess. Grace, do you want to pick that one up? I thought it was a pretty naff year for film, if I'm going to be honest. But it it just kind of felt like a year of sequels and unnecessary remakes and just a lot of rubbish. Um, and I don't know whether that's um, because of VOD or if it's just been a slow year. I don't know. But I just felt, in comparison with other years, I just felt really uninspired by quite a lot of cinematic roster. I don't know. That's... but. This is is really useful information, Grace, for the fact that we know that you're going to have a lot to say when it comes to the bottom five of the year list that's (laughs) coming up on the show. Because, you know, it's it's easy to go the other way and sort of gush about a load of things that come out and then really struggle to come up with bad films. It sounds like you won't have any struggles in that area. When you made your top ten, though, do you feel like, without giving any spoilers as to that list... Did you struggle to get to a top ten? Yeah, do you feel like... that bad a year for films? And do you feel like those are good, like, ten really great films? Or do you feel they're kind of middling... To, to good I think like they're they're all good films they're not um 
couple of them will stay with me. A lot of them were just like, these are really good movies, but I think it wasn't that difficult for me to make my list this year. Um, and um, also, it was quite difficult because there wasn't a lot of superhero movies for me to choose from this year, which was a bit naff. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, I just kind of felt a bit... It was a year for me catching up with a lot of films that I haven't seen before, a lot of classics, a lot of foreign cinema. Um, and um, yeah, I think, yeah, it just wasn't a very inspiring cinema roster in general for me. But, you know, maybe I wasn't searching hard enough. It, it always seems, Paul, and I think we've discussed this, it always seems quite tempting at the end of the year to do not only a best of 2018 list, but a best of the films that you saw in 2018. Yeah, what were we talking about? I was talking about that with someone at work today. Like, it's just like, well, actually, yeah, like, I've, you know, yeah, I've seen all these films. But then you go, but I've seen these incredible films mm. this year. So, yeah, mm. it's almost, I agree with you, Pete, it's almost tempting to do that. That's a whole other show where you go, it is. Like, what's the best you've seen this year? Because yeah. ultimately, you know, once it's out there, the year of release is kind of irrelevant to how good, it's certainly irrelevant to how good the film is. So, yeah, mm. yeah. yeah that's, that's an interesting so, one. So, Paul, have, back, back to the task in hand in today's show. For you, looking at your top 10 list, agonising over it, as I'm sure you have, does it strike you like grace that this has been a bit of an underwhelming year? Or do you feel, on the contrary, that it's, that it's a strong year, 2018? No, I feel fucking privileged to have been alive in the year 2018 for films. I think I'm going to say, yeah, I kind of agree with, with some of the more mainstream fare and at risk of sounding a little bit sniffy, maybe you haven't looked hard enough. The art house and foreign output this year has been nothing short of incredible. Like trying to put together my top 10 was one of the hardest I've had to put together for quite some time now. And you probably, if you ask me to do it again tomorrow, certain things would jump out, certain things would jump back in. And yeah, it's weirdly enough, my wife did say to me, oh, there's not really any blockbusters in your list this year. So maybe I'm I'm with Grace on that one. I think the superhero films, there's been some strong ones this year. Mm. I think there's, there's, there's been some weak ones, certainly. Um, but yeah, no, for me, absolutely blown away by this year. Like it's it's been an incredible year, and there's still stuff that I have. I mean, I I'd say I've got to a lot of what I wanted to see. There's probably only two or three, maybe four that I've missed, and I still really want to see those. So yeah, completely disagree. I've been blown away by 2018. Pete, and, and what about you? Time to answer your own question, sir. Well, that's that's absolutely <laughs> fine with me. And, and Paul, as you're well aware, like I'm a person who would advocate for bringing your own personal biography to uh, out into the open when you're reviewing films. And if you yeah. don't mind me saying this, it's not revealing any great personal secret. This year, 2018, is also a year where you've relocated to a city in Bath that we talk about on the show, you know, here and there, where you've got access to just more like um, art, little art house cinemas and, yeah. and more films. Yeah. yeah, basically more films. And it seems to me that that's not done anything to damage your enthusiasm for like the indie film scene, the art house film scene, and maybe things that you might not have like you might not have been prepared to travel dozens of miles to see it had you not had them there but having them there maybe it's imbued your list with a sort of new lease on lease of life or, or something like that yeah you see what I, I'm I trying completely to say? agree with that and also it was quite nice reading down the sight and sound top films of the year list and I've, for, the, for the first time ever I've seen most of them mm. like so that's actually I feel quite privileged to be in that position because normally it's just like okay that wasn't shown anywhere near couldn't get mm. to that didn't see that that's out next year so, um, yeah, Bath Film Festival also helped. They showed quite a good selection mm. of stuff that I wouldn't have normally got to see. Um, so that was quite nice. Um, although one film I saw there won't be making the list because it's not out to the 1st of January. So the favourite, I'm sorry, you would have made the list, but you're not in. So you're not out till next year. So maybe maybe we're talking about the, maybe we'll be talking about the favourite this time next year. Mm. But no, so it's it's just, it's just nice to have access to it. It's not, you know, the, the, the little theatre in Bath do show 
uh, a wider selection of stuff. Certainly, if I was on in Cheltenham, I can jump on the train to the Watershed in Bristol, which is an incredible cinema. And then, as we talked about the other week, Tivoli's just opened, and on top of Odeon. So, yeah, I'm spoiled for choice, really. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 been great. It's been incredible. And, and it's, I w- it's been one of the highlights of my move to Bath, if I'm honest. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. I would only tag on to that, I guess, from my side and everybody else's as well, because this is not exclusive to me by any means. But things that we mentioned as well, like the movie streaming streaming service, has been really good in terms of accessing all different kinds of films. Not all of them new, obviously, but uh, one of the films that was in consideration for my list was only available on that platform um also things like curzon home cinema which allows people to see it's pricey but it's good yeah. yeah pricey for sure but like if you're going to pay 10 quid for a cinema ticket you may well pay 10 pounds 12 pounds to watch the film at the same time it comes out of the cinema so that service is something that as we've got to the end of the year i've really had to scramble around to use because of the fact that maybe i've been deprived of screenings of some of the films that i wanted to consider for the list so yeah to answer the original question that i set and you threw back to me Looking at my top 10 and the sort of surrounding films that were in consideration, it feels to me like a good year. However, I think I'm inclined to think that every year is a good year. Like each year when we get to the end of the year and and you hear people (laughs) say, oh, this was kind of a middling, not so good. I just, because I'm so taken with even a uh, a handful of films every year, that is enough to sate my appetite. Even if I see three or four films that like move me in some sort of serious uh, or memorable way, that'll keep me, you know, from being too too sort of hungry for more, I guess. And maybe I'm setting the bar too low. But yeah, from that <laughs> from that vantage point, I think that it, from my side... Well, I suppose, yeah, if you look at it that way, if you watch 10 films, if you watch more than 10 films in a year, you are going to have a top 10, aren't you? So. Well, yeah, yeah, you are. And, and also, I suppose, you know, within this pursuit of, of these great films, you watch an awful lot of dreck. And it's a perfect segue, uh, you guys, into what's going to be the next section of the show in which the three of us are not going to look at all the beauty and joy in the film world. Instead, we're going to stare into the endless void of absolute garbage when we review review countdown let's say we don't need to give full reviews here we count down our worst five films of 2018 right after this So yes, so I'm, I said, "Do I sound so excited?" We're about to talk about five, well, fifteen. Well, let's see if there's any crossover. <laughs> Potentially, listeners, as many as fifteen shit films is what we're about to talk about. I have a feeling there might be some crossover here. Um, well, let's get on with it. Grace, what's your number five worst film of 2018, or film you, or or film you dislike the most? Whatever way you want to phrase it, whatever way you want to phrase it. What I'm going to start off by saying is, it's going to be really embarrassing if any of our top five, like bottom fives, are in the top yeah. ten. <laughs> um, to be honest, I have got a bottom five, but like I, I enjoyed all of them so little that I can't really put them in a specific order. So I'm just going to say them in the order I wrote them down in my notepad is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. What the hell was that? What was the point of that film? Grace. Bloody hell. It's my number five as well. Oh, thank goodness. I fucking hated it. I hated every shitty... Sorry, I'm talking over you now. Go on. No, it's fine. Why did you hate it? Let's just just make a wall of hate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hated it because... It was generic. It was just badly scripted. The effects were rubbish. It had so much that it could have done it there. Like the whole um, plot of there being an underground dinosaur auction. Like that whole plot could have been so cool. It was exactly the same as all the other Jurassic Park movies. There was just, it was just like they're like, 
let's just make some money quickly. What's worked before? That formula's worked, blah. And it just focused on the same bloody dinosaur. The T-Rex had no fucking screen time whatsoever. See, Grace is swearing now, listeners. Sorry. So she's really upset. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a bad when year, that's why. It's been a bad year. <laughs> yeah. A lot of frustration over here. So that's, that's Paul, you said yeah. uh, you leaked the fact that's no, your number five as well. Yeah, no, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is my number five. And nearly, nearly, nearly. I nearly put it at number one because it annoyed me so much. I came close to, I came close to walking out of the cinema. I mean, like, spoiler warning, there's a cloned little girl in this that's oh. just ridiculous and oh, like the group of people that were in the cinema in front of me actually got up and walked out at that point it's such a brainless stupid film that just and also what's the point of cloning these dinosaurs to make this supposedly invincible dinosaur that still needs a laser sight pointed at the end of a gun where you can just shoot something on a raptor that actually seems more stupid than the dinosaurs in the first film um yeah just the whole the whole like identikit racial stereotyping terrorists that were bidding for the dinosaurs at the auction yeah. and then you're supposed to believe that all these dinosaurs are hidden underneath this guy's house mm. um it was just the film is just stupid and i hated it and the trailer was so rubbish like making out like jeff goldblum <laughs> was going to be so main in it and yeah then and jeff like, goldblum was in it no, for 30 seconds just, yeah he, just, his performance no. was just sort of cut in at the last minute he yeah. did five oh, minutes totally, work yeah. didn't he yeah um, oh. so yeah jurassic world fallen kingdom at number five possibly should have been higher but pete what have you got number Five. Just for what it's worth, I thought it was all right. Um, no, number, number five for me on this shit list, uh, my personal shit list, is a film that it's innocuous, so it's probably a little bit cruel to put it on here, but it's a Netflix quote-unquote rom-com called Happy Anniversary. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. This one starred, I believe, no. Noel Wells, who I like, and Ben Schwartz, who I also like, but was just fucking dreadful. It was like a pair of hipsters that you don't give a fuck about from the outset just staring at their own converse and trying to figure out whether they should split up or not and what they really need to do is shoot each other straight between the eyes and this whole thing could be over oh it was like the worst kind of indie movie making that maybe I've seen this year it's safe for perhaps one that's going to be a little higher on this list but yeah Happy Anniversary was dreadful and it's one of the worst Netflix uh, films that they've put out and there are many many bad ones so that's my number five <laughs> uh, number four Grace what do you have? I was really excited about this movie because I thought their marketing campaign was really good and then I went to see it and I was so disappointed because their marketing campaign was better than the film and that was The Secret of Marabone did either of you see this one? Yeah, Pete is like the only one person in the whole world that really liked it. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> it might even, okay. I reckon, I've got a feeling. That, yeah, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. That might be that embarrassing situation I... we talked about. but <laughs> Like, spoilers, I kind of felt like it was Sixth Sense, sixth sense with Split, but really bad. And I just felt like the acting was all over the place. The style and tone was not very definitive to the um, period that it was set in. It had a really juicy, for want of a better word, um, kind of plot and um, themes and um, topics that you could really delve into, but it just didn't, it kind of just skimmed the surface and which was a really disappointing ending. And as a horror junkie, I really hate it when I sat there and then the ending was so bloody predictable. I was just like, bloody hell, my life. So yeah, that was my... <laughs> Soz. <laughs> That was my number four. It, just in, incidentally, for this word, it didn't make my list, but okay. but I do think it's a better film than that description. But, okay. but I, I, I also am aware that I may be in the minority. Like I've seen 
a couple of critics who've like I, I I think it was Tasha Robinson from maybe The Verge who put this on a top ten of the year list, maybe even top okay. five or six okay. of the year list. But I think again she's in the minority. So yeah, I just thought it had like a, a, a good atmosphere about it, and I kind of love Anya mm. Taylor Joy, and I don't know, I enjoyed it. Paul, yeah. what's number it's four? Nowhere, for near, you? It's nowhere near the nowhere near the bottom of my list, in fairness, yeah. but I didn't love it. Uh, number four for me, I'm torn here. I, I've, this list is kind of Venom's gone in and out of this list, and I think it might stay out. Because, I mean, the only reason Venom has been kept out of my worst of the year list is because I watched the Happy Time Murders. Oh, I forgot about oh, that. Oh wow! So initially, I was like, okay, how can this be bad? You've got Muppet swearing; it's R-rated. Melissa McCarthy even phoning it in. It can either be, it can most of the time be amusing at least. And for about the first sort of four to five minutes, I was like, this is quite funny. This Muppet mm, swearing. Mm. I quite like this. And I don't know, has anyone seen the film Sausage Party? Yeah. Oh, I stopped it. Yeah, oh, I so you know, it. like, Sausage Party is basically one joke all the way through and yeah. it makes you chuckle, like, once and then the film stops being funny for the rest of it. That's the Happy Time Murders. It's like, the puppets are swearing. <laughs> An hour and a half later, you're like, <laughs> switch it off now, please. Pete, what's next? <laughs> uh, next for me. So I wonder, and I'm interested, because um, having Grace talk about The Secret of Maribyrn being sort of terrible and uh, disagreeing with that, I wonder whether this is going to go the other way, where this might be one, Grace, that you've seen and enjoyed. But I'm just making assumptions that may be completely <laughs> unfounded. Number four for me is the Steven Soderbergh movie, Unsane from this year, where all I can really say to defend putting this on my top five worst films of the year is that yet again, after side effects, Steven Soderbergh has decided that what you're going to do is use mental health issues as a fun springboard into just goofy uh, twist on twist on twist movie making. And like from a, a promising like outset as well in both the cases of of that film side effects and this film unsane where you go in thinking wow you're like really ramping tension in this one you've got claire foy she's sort of inadvertently admitted to a, a, a kind of mental institution and you've got all of these it's shot i think exclusively on on hd like iphone cameras so you've got this really claustrophobic uh close up close and personal stop doing that just use the film cameras yeah but but, but paul like i kind of from from my side i felt like that's what worked best about this film but then okay. But then it just, I don't know, it, it jumps a, a whole bunch of sharks and, and becomes a thing that I just, I, maybe I'm far too sensitive and I'm a snowflake, but I just find it offensive when it's just as easy as, oh, it would be fun here if the twist is, you know, mental illness can all just be put on for a bunch of time. Or like in, in this case, let's have a lot of fun with straight jackets and padded cells and stuff. Stop with that. Um, you know, I don't want Steven Soderbergh to retire again. I think he's a, a great filmmaker, but I don't like these things and I didn't like that one and that's my number four. Grace, what's number three for you? Oh, and yeah, did you see that movie, by the way? No, I didn't see that I still haven't seen it either, And um, I, for me, like, addressing mental health in films, there's a certain way that it needs to be handled. Like, for example, Primal Fear is a film that kind of... Hand, it, it uses it in the right way with a really well-constructed, you know... Um, movie whereas I, I i kind of saw the trailer for this is gonna be rubbish well, well, yeah. so thanks for confirming that yeah primal know. fear and, and potentially you guys without spoilers one of the films that may feature on on one or more of our top 10 lists today but, yeah, but we'll yeah, see yeah. in time what do you have at number three at number three i have um unfriended dark web i haven't seen oh, it is yet. it bad i really like um, the original i quite like the original unfriended is okay yeah is this um, one bad oh it was just a bit like unbelievable that all these 
kids manage to hack into the dark web. I mean, I don't want to spoil it for you all. It's just, I mean, to be honest, I think I was just more cross with it because it was just sort of a, a representation of how the horror industry is kind of is now. Oh, we'll just knock off a little sequel that's vaguely, you know, in the vein of what the original one was, but make it a bit less good. Mm. I think I think that's all I have to say on that. I think that's more why I put it in. It wasn't an awful film. It was just sort of like, oh, that was a waste. The do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also to see it on the cinema, it's so irritating to see. I mean, I've got an honourable mention which does it well, but sometimes when you see a film that's set on a computer and you've got that Mac sound, it's like donk donk donk, but it's on a big screen. It just irritated me so much. A bit like when listeners to this podcast oh. hear notifications come up on my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> But it, so yeah, that, that's it, is this is this movie then in like that like a weird category, sort of almost all of its own, where it's rather than recommending you must see it in the cinema or you know wait for a download or whatever, it's like you have to watch this on a small laptop in bed or something like that for it to have any of the impact that's intended. Watch it on a small laptop in bed if you've got sleep. nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, like if you've literally watched like all the other horror movies that have come out, I don't know, it was alright. <laughs> Paul, what about you, number three? Uh, Number three for me is Gotti, which is, I think, I don't know what percentage is sitting on Rotten Tomatoes now, but it's that terrible, terrible, terrible John Travolta vehicle directed by one of the guys from Entourage, Kevin Conley, where he plays, John Travolta plays John Paul Gotti. Um, It's it's so, so, so boring. Uh, John Travolta's terrible. He's kind of narrating, the, the amount of narration, it's ridiculous. At one point, he's narrating from Beyond the Grave. The film makes absolutely no sense. The scene's ripped directly from Goodfellas. It's a big bag of shit and just don't watch it. Um, yeah, it's, it was awful. Uh, Pete, number three for you. Number three for me is a film that I almost uh, talked about on last week's episode because I've seen it recently and that's uh, Assassination Nation. Um, Assassination Nation is a movie that opens with a sort of... You did talk about it last week. Yeah, then we dropped the first part of the show, Paul. But, you know, for the listeners at home, (laughs) I I didn't talk about it on last week's show. No, I do apologise, yes. Yeah, um, so... This is a movie that starts with a sort of sub-Gaspar Noé thing where the director flashes up in block capitals trigger warnings for the sort of explicit and edgelord content that is going to populate the rest of edgelord. the movie. I can tell you're and, impressed. <laughs> and, and it then is it becomes, again, there's like a vaguely interesting premise here about um, the leaking of personal information, which is something that's very relatable through uh, internet technology and hacking and um, sort of, what do you call that, like doxing people and threatening to release all of their information if they don't do A, B or C. But the problem is that it has such a kind of um, Harmony Kareen light sensibility about it that like any biting social satire that may or may not have been intended just ends up to me from my vantage point falling flat and getting so self-congratulatory in like the same kind of way as I felt about the movie that I think you guys probably like more than me. Um, what am I forgetting the name of here? Uh, the Neon Demon. Um, oh, the yeah. Neon Demon is is a vastly superior film to this, but like both of them just upset me in the same way. Where it's like you're not you're not saying anything pr- particularly profound. We're well, not even vaguely profound, and you're doing it in such a sort of look at me like you know jerking off in public kind of a way that I, I yeah I I found this like. The kind of film that that leans over from just sort of like, oh, that was annoying and bad to like, this has made me 
angry, angry. but not in a you're triggered kind of a way, again, that might be intended, just in a like, we can do better than this. We can investigate our current status quo in a more intelligent way than this, uh, not just wallowing in our own shit. Uh, Grace, what was at number two for you? Um, this is purely at number two for me because the acting was really good and the actors did the best with what they got. And I've put Bohemian Rhapsody as my number two which might be controversial because I know so many people loved it. But no, the critics are wrong. My granddad no. and my dad and my sister and my brother, Whatever. we all loved it. So critics Whatever. are wasting their time. Oh, right. <laughs> that film, yeah. I've got points. Why did you hate it? Facts. The facts were all over the place, were wrong, were put in in different timelines just for dramatic effect. Certain events happened when they weren't going to be happening for another five years. People wrote songs when they didn't write them. Blooming, um, they were focusing on Freddie Mercury's solo career like and how it was such a bad thing. But in real life, Brian and Roger had like released solo albums way before Freddie even did. So I could go on to that whole monologue another time but facts script it was like watching an episode of eastenders it was cringeworthy the fact it was a pg meant that we really couldn't delve into freddie mercury's life the flamboyance the um the dark sides the the parties the parties were so pg it was like yeah i'm not surprised everyone's getting up and leaving because they're just really boring parties <laughs> and 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 the wembley the wembley scene the we're in the 80s bloody hell bloody hell and the fact that like everyone's like oh Rami Malek like he was good he was a really brilliant actor he portrayed Freddie really well but they're like oh he's such a good singer it wasn't his bloody voice it was amalgamation like four voices for goodness sake so as a Queen fan and as a film fan I'm like Roger and Brian what did you do this is what happens if you give a biopic (laughs) if you give a supposedly cutting biopic if you give the final cut to the actual band members, oh, then you're only going to get a sanitised yeah, version of it. I know, and right? yeah, I, I didn't make my bottom of the year, but yeah, you need to. People who watch that need to watch Walk Hard again uh, and realise what you don't do with biopics. Exactly. <laughs> Paul, what have you got? Um, it's my number two now, isn't yeah. it? Um, do you remember that film Extinction that was on Netflix, directed by Ben Young? I don't, and it was my second worst film of the year. Pete, you're up next. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I entirely agree. It hasn't made the list. I just I just when I was listing these, it was in the long list, and I was like, it's so dull. I can't remember any of it. So maybe it deserves to just be innocuously left to one side. Yeah. No, I've I've, I've 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 put put it on the shit list. You're up next. That's my number two. So um, the the next film uh, that is on my list at number two is the film Fifty Shades Free. Um, this is the sad conclusion of the Vital trilogy. Um, the, the best way I tried to sum this up when I was thinking about this list earlier on is, imagine the first film here, metaphorically, you're in a room and there's not really anything to do and you're quite bored, but it's not threatening you in any particular way. And time passes and you can sort of entertain yourself in your own mind. That was the first one. Second one, you start to realise that that room is actually filling up with carbon monoxide and you're starting to feel a bit lightheaded and a bit sick because of all this sort of over overwhelming sense of toxicity that's surrounding you that's the second film by the third film you're in like semi-consciously just sort of quivering on the floor and just wishing for death the the way in which this trilogy has managed to be so like like hateful towards not only like S&M lifestyles but also just towards the very concept of romantic love is quite an achievement and it really like 
it, it emphasizes the fact that when there are filmmakers of great ability struggling to get their work seen by anybody, that you can make almost anything into like the kind of production that gets to open wide if you just know the right people and have the right connections and have sold this shite to such a, a large number of people who've lapped it up in a country so cosseted by its own inability to accept being sexually active as to be just re repressed to sort of beyond 1950s levels I mean th there's so much I could say about this movie but it's not in like the film itself is not worth all the discussion so that's my number two Fifty Shades Freed what's at number one for you Grace um I remember the Slender Man came out this year and at the time I was a bit like oh that was just a film and then I remembered like the whole sort of backstory of Slender Man that it was a online creation that got so many f people freaked out that turned into like a real life horror story and I remember going into this film going like I'm expecting a lot more there's a there's a kind of modern day um cinematic uh nasty that's potentially going to be like you know the next Freddy or whatever and could um start a franchise and and be genuinely scary and then I saw it was a 12A and it was just so bloody forgettable and unscary. I was just like, you can't even get that right horror market at the moment. And yeah, and it just, again, it's kind of like that dark web unfriended thing where it's just like, how do these, how do these films get such a big cinematic release? Probably because suckers like me go and watch them all the bloody time I'd expect. But yeah, that's like... <laughs> You know, but so, I was going to watch this the other night in preparation because I thought it might make this list. So yeah, I'm still intrigued. Yeah. I probably will still sit through it. Yeah, but it's but, not good now. No, I just you know for, just for, for sort of like a um, a millennial um, scary. You know, would you say it was offensively bland? Yes. Yes. There you go. And offensively CGI'd. bland. <laughs> Too CGI'd. And you know how I hate over CGI horror films. I don't, but we do now. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. So that was your worst of the year, Slender <laughs> Man, so. although no particular order for any of those from the sound of it. Um, no. <laughs> okay. Right. My number one. Are you ready for this? Show Dogs. I actually sat through <laughs> all of Show Dogs and oh my word, is it a stinker. You were expecting um, it to be an excellent piece of uh, filmmaking. <laughs> I was. I was. I wasn't sure which list it would go on, to be honest. I thought it might kind of go around, so far around the It's Bad Cock that it ticks back to good again. It doesn't. It goes nowhere near that. Uh, it's an embarrassment for everyone involved. It's supposed to be a child's film. It's really, really creepy. The creepy scenes where someone's, I can't even remember the cast, someone's wanking off a dog at one point and it's just really quite disturbing. Um, Will Arnett is really, come on, mate, what? like, what are you doing? He can be quite talented he's done a lot of yeah it's show dogs what is very racing weird is this movie? it's like a, it's supposed to be a you but then it was basically so what happened with show dogs it was released into cinemas i don't know which version i saw but whether or not this is but basically it was released into the cinemas. uncut version went, by the sounds of things yeah, yeah people went yeah that's not the on dark web that's not on the studio the distributors then pulled it out of cinemas when it was on release yeah. recut it and re-released it so i'm not sure which version i saw but even in the version I saw, if that is the cut version, there's still some really weird stuff going on in this film. Show dogs, dogs. Like, it's talking animals, which you know, to, to get talking animals right, you really have to do it, do it really, really well, mm. or I'm out. It's just awful, just absolutely awful. I don't know how I sat through all of it, but I did because <laughs> I have this policy of now, when I start a film, I will finish it no matter how bad it is. 
Uh, show dogs, well done. You very nearly got me to break that rule, but not quite. So yeah, show dogs, you're a disgrace, and you are my worst film of 2018. It, it does feel a little bit like if we did a what were your first your worst experiences of the year list, and you said, oh, the worst experience I had was when I picked up a knife and stabbed myself in the leg. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, ultimately, I would next time avoid a, a film called Show Dogs. But then again, Paul, I've got at my number one a film that I could well have avoided and had the curiosity to check it out. This. Is is after seeing the execrable movie uh, Equals from director Drake Deramus, who is like treading new ground in how to make sort of intriguing sci-fi movies as tedious as humanly possible. <laughs> this one is called uh, Zoe, and Zoe is about a scientist played by Ewan McGregor. So just just let that sink in for a second. Um, Ewan McGregor works at this place where they're making like cybernetic uh, human cybernetic humans uh, companions to for people to uh uh so, somehow gain benefit in their lives from having the companionship of someone maybe a love interest maybe someone they can form a bond with it's almost like we haven't seen movies like her that did this really well so we need drake the ramus to have a stab at it um the girl that is created is um played by the girl that you're gonna remind me of the name of paul from blue is the warmest color um Leia Sadu, yeah. Leia Sadu, uh, unbelievably gorgeous. In this movie, we're supposed to believe that um, she is this, this cybernetic creation in a relationship with Ewan McGregor. The thing that kind of sums up why I hate the movie so much is um, connected with something that we did this year, Paul. In May, we went to this thing, uh, Primavera, and at Primavera Festival, there was an artist that is becoming very popular called uh, Cigarettes After Sex. And I went to see Cigarettes After Sex live, and rather than the sort of mind-altering experience that maybe you might expect that to be it is unbearably tedious and in this movie Zoe Ewan McGregor goes back to his sort of hipster neo-future apartment and puts on a sort of vintage record player a piece of music and the piece of music is uh, the, the track K by Cigarettes After Sex and it just seems so perfectly a summation <laughs> of, of everything that I despise about this thing um Leia Seydoux deserves a lot better. Um, Ewan McGregor, I think, is a guy who is um, talented and also very, very enamoured with a paycheck. So seeing him here is not that big of a surprise. But it was just, just how do you make something like this so tedious when a movie like Weird Science exists? I don't know. <laughs> Zoe is, is my number one worst film of the year. Um, that has all made me feel a little bit upset and we need to kind of clear the air so that we can come back with the next section of the show. In the next section of the show, we're of course going to begin counting down our top 10 movies of the year. But before that, we also wanted to mention something else, did we not, Paul? I've lost the running order, so you're going to have to tell me. Good, because I don't have the running order in front of me immediately either. So let's fill up some air with a lot of chatting. Uh, Phil, that was it. I can't believe of I course, haven't Of course, yeah. So we wanted to say so, yes. that just before we go in with the top 10, we're going to talk about some movies that could have made the list, but we haven't seen them, and so they can't be on the list. Apart from that, we'll be back with our top 10 movies of 2018, full of enthusiasm, right after this. Right, and back we are. So, before we get into the top 10, as Pete mentioned just before the break, we're going to do What Do You Mean I Haven't Seen, which is a very creative title, Pete. I'm very proud of you for that, I'll be honest. So, um, yeah, so this is where we come up with films that you think you may have made the list, but you haven't had a chance to catch up with them for whatever reason. Uh, who wants to go first? 
Uh, I've got a few here that I could run down. Um, so, so yeah, obviously these will not be included on my list for the for the very reason that I just just haven't seen them yet. The particular ones that stand out seem to be ones that are getting praise, like uh, First Reformed from Paul Schrader uh, may or may not be on Paul's list because I know you've talked about it before. Uh, I have an inkling, having not seen the movie, that it wouldn't be on my top ten list. But uh, when I get round to it, I'll, I'll give my thoughts hopefully on the show. Um, also, things like The Breadwinner, the animation, I really wanted to see and just just couldn't in time. Uh, a Prayer Before Dawn because it's Joe Cole and, and fighting and Thailand and things that I like and uh, from all accounts seems to be uh, pretty decent. Um, apart from that, Shoplifters, the, the Kareda film that you've talked about recently, Paul, I didn't get to see that. Uh, a few others. Uh, Grace, help me out. Anything for you that particularly stands out? Oh, I mean, to be honest, all these films you guys have already seen, so I need to see Roma pretty sharpish. No excuse. Um, no excuse on Netflix. We playing that. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry to bother you. I still haven't seen because I'm an idiot. You were never really here again. I think it's just because th- these films dedicate quite a lot of time and energy, and I think this year's just been such a hectic one that I've kind of put them to a side. Been longer than two hours. Um, and um, I didn't get to see um, Man with a Gun at the cinema yet. No, I, that, so yeah, that's a go. good shout as well. The Old Man and the Gun, I haven't seen either. Yeah. Um, another it's one, really good. I, I'm listing mm. quite a lot of like the ones that you've done little reviews on the show for, Paul, but it, included in that would be uh, Apostasy. And did you get to see yet the Gaspar Noe movie, Climax? Yeah, yeah. so that that's another one that like... <laughs> Just smugly. Like, yeah, yes, so of course. Smug. Of course, I've seen it twice. Yes, of course, I've seen it. Um, who I've hasn't? Seen all of it. Who hasn't? <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, so like with with the track record that Gaspar Noe has, it, it was going to be inevitably like something to talk about. Whether or not it would make the list, I don't know. But like I tend to lean into the stuff that he does. Loveless, I know, is one that probably might might be there. Uh, Let the bodies tan from the people who made uh, the strange color of your body's tears, like things like that. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, you can look through everybody's list from various publications. And, yeah, let the bodies tan. I want to see that as well. And, and feel really feel bad about that. yourself. But I mean, for you know, I think I've done relatively well uh can, all things considered paul any for you that stand out your completest uh, i've seen everything this what? you know i'm joking uh no uh, i would have liked to have got to blind spotting which i haven't managed to get to uh also the korean film the burning that's supposed to be very very good i haven't caught up with that and also the breadwinner i, I don't know why i haven't caught up with the breadwinner i really wanted to watch it i've been hovering over the renting it for many many times this year and just haven't caught up with it yet so yeah probably the three that i would say um that I would have rather have seen than not at this point of the year and may or may not have made the list. So, yeah, I think I've, yeah, again, from what we talked about earlier, I think I've, I've been spoiled a bit this year with what I've managed to get to. So, yeah, I'm overall pretty happy with what I've seen. So, so this is so much tantalising flirtation. Should we just get started on the... So we're going to break this thing up and we're going to do 10 through 6, first of all. Then we'll take a little break. Then we'll come back with 5 through 1. My suggestion to the group, and you can, like, take it or leave it, is I think 10 through 6 we should try and keep pretty concise so as we can give due time and attention to five through one because obviously they're going to be your your real big hitters so if we zip through 10 through six who wants to kick off uh, who wants to go first should i start i'm yeah, quite excited start. right and number 10 for me is a film that i expected to like but not as much as this it's mission impossible fallout from director Ooh. christopher mcquarrie um almost almost left the cinema with a mad max fury road level of excitement when i came out of it i have to say it's the best action film since Mad Max Fury Road. It's Mission Impossible firing on all cylinders. It's Tom Cruise being all kinds of awesome. Tom Cruise. Um, everyone's great in this. 
Sean Harris's villain is back from the previous Mission Impossible films and a more terrifying man I do not think exists than Sean Harris. Uh, the stunts are incredible. Even Henry Cavill's good in this thing and like really good in this. Uh, it's just great and it's just such a just a joyous cinematic experience on one of the greatest action films of recent years. So that's Mission Impossible Fallout, my number 10. Uh, Grace, do you want to go next? That film's also on my list, but not on my t- number 10. So oh, okay. I'll, I'll, Where I'll... is it? Is it a number fa- seven? Number seven. Yeah, okay. yeah seven. number, number seven, nine yeah. on mine. So on all of our lists, and we'll, we'll just say, I guess, a couple of sentences when yeah. it gets to Unless that anyone, Yeah, yeah, just yeah. say a couple of sentences. Yeah. got anything to add to what I've said, but yeah. Um, number 10 for me was House of the Clock and Its Walls, which I thought was like a, a film that was kind of overlooked this year. Does Eli Roth? Yeah, Eli yeah. Roth, kids' film, Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, really freaky, um, really sweet story, really original. I mean, it's based on a book, but it was it was a really nice thing to see at the cinema, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed myself. It was really refreshing. It was funny. It was really dark as well, um, and yeah, I think think it deserves a top ten spot. Do you know there's an adult version of that film coming out? <laughs> Can you guess what? I, can you guess what it might be called? Yes, I can. Yeah, okay, we'll move on. Good one, uh, Pete. What? <laughs> the, the tone has has elevated so high. How am I going to come in from that? Uh, number ten from me is a film that uh, had to be on the list, and I've knocked out a couple because I didn't want to leave this one off, and I and I feel bad about those. And one of them is going to be incredibly controversial when we get to that later. But uh, number 10 for me is Black Klansman, which is Spike Lee, in, in my opinion, Spike Lee's best movie in a very long time. Um, I liked Chirac. Um, I've liked some of his recent stuff enough, but I think you have to go back quite far to get anything as sharp and incisive as this. You've got like these two performances from John David Washington and Adam Driver, who are the two faces of Ron Stallworth, this guy who's going to infiltrate their KKK. The thing is sharply written it's funny it doesn't like no one puts a foot wrong in terms of comedy timing and I think those the the sort of set of performances here really work well together to deliver the faux real shit that Spike Lee has intended and slathers all over the place um also it, it it can't be overlooked that this is a movie that has a sting in its tail and uses this real-life footage at the end of the film, which, in my opinion, just serves to amplify what's gone before. To me, it's one of the most memorable cinematic experiences of the year, having to um, not reassess, but, like, look back with a slightly different set of eyes on what I've just been watching having been hit right in the gut by the footage that's on the end of this movie and yeah I know when we talked about this in the in the review Paul that you were saying that it felt like a bit I'm pretty sure it's just me I'm pretty sure it is just it, me I, I think that. I've heard it <laughs> elsewhere but like it, it sometimes okay. it, it could feel a little bit preachy or a little bit on the nose or a bit direct but for me it, it was absolutely right because Spike Lee at the best of times is an angry filmmaker with real shit to say and it felt like rather than pulling that punch and allowing this thing to just be sort of a stylish confection it was something deadly serious by the end and so, yeah, I loved it all the more for that. Black Clansman's number 10. Uh, ooh, uh, still deciding whether I'm going to move this up or down. No, I'm going to commit to what's on my list in front of me. This is You Were Never Really Here from Lynn Ramsey. Um, just, I haven't forgotten this uh, this experience of coming out of the cinema and just being absolutely exhausted by an intense cinematic experience that I know, Pete, you didn't go too much on. I know, Chris, you haven't seen it. Oh, um, I hated but, yeah, it. It's just, I did not go too much yeah, on it. I yeah, hated it. Much, I hated it. Uh, it's an experience that hasn't left me. I haven't seen it yet since the cinema. I have to say, so maybe I should rewatch. Maybe I tried to get in a few rewatches, but ultimately ran out of time. Um, 
but yeah, it's just a, an unforgettable cinematic experience for me. And I came out of it just exhausted, going, wow, that really, really punched me in the gut like our film hasn't done for quite some time. So yeah, I, I, I know I, I, people seem to either love or hate it from the reading I've been doing around it. Like, so it there doesn't, no one's come out of it and going, oh, that was all right. Like, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely a divisive film, and, and fair enough. But uh, yeah, just for me, it's an incredible film. Keen Phoenix is absolutely superb in it. He's a terrifying individual here. Lynn Ramsey's director that we're all very fond of, I think. And yeah, it just absolutely blew me away. And that's why it sits at number nine. Uh, Grace? I've got Halloween as my number nine. Oh, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... Um... I really enjoyed this film more than I thought I was ever going to. Um, and it's my number nine because it's one of the few times a classic has been remade or had a sequel where I've left feeling satisfied. Um, I thought the script, as, as I've said on this show before, the script was really good. Um Jamie Lee Curtis was phenomenal. I can't even say the word phenomenal. <laughs> um, strong female cast, um, and yeah, I I just really had a whale of a time watching it, and I was just yeah satisfied to heck. And maybe I preferred watching the re um, watching the original. I don't know. I kind of on par. And and it, par. you did you get Grace the same amount of satisfaction as me from the sequence in which the podcasters are brutally murdered? Because like it maybe maybe yes. it's a bit uh, ironic, uh, knowingly so I guess. But like oh, it was so satisfying. Podcasters are bellends, aren't they? So yeah, it was great to what? see them just yeah. like, horribly stabbed to death. And I was and I was so glad that they did because they were such irritating characters. I was like, oh no, is, are they going to be the focal point of this film? And then they get slaughtered. And I was like, yes, you've done it. Thank goodness. Where are we going to go from here? Yeah, number nine, Halloween. <laughs> so this is now with me for number nine. Oh, well, number nine, uh, one that has been mentioned already uh, for me from Paul was number 10. From me, number nine is Mission Impossible Fallout, which like is a movie that... I would say it took me by surprise, but it kind of didn't because I think that the franchise has been going from strength to strength of late. And I think that we have to be, all of the Scientology things removed and forget about that. It's not really related to movie making, but uh, Tom Cruise is a treasure. We have to treasure this guy as a person who is just one-upping himself constantly in the pursuit of like the perfect action set piece the movie makes you remember why you love action cinema and I would say that it's not only the best action movie of the year but like most of the best action set pieces of 2018 were all in Mission Impossible oh, yeah, Fallout sure. like there, there are bits here that I saw this thing in in IMAX and I'm sure a lot of people did as well and like th there are bits in here where you get that like childlike heart-pounding sort of adrenaline response to action film, which is so rare because you watch so much action stuff now where you think, like, I know all of the beats and I know where this is going to go and I know that there's no real jeopardy for these characters or there's so much CGI as to make it sort of uh, uh, unreal and, and disconnected from my reality. Whereas this thing just felt, like, vital and, and stupid and daft and knowingly so, but, like action movie wise I mean you're gonna be hard pushed to find anything better from the last decade I'd say apart from Mad Max Fury Road Mad Max Fury Road but like I mean that that is a high bar I mean if you if you have oh, yeah, action movies sure. of that standard you're a lucky boy yeah. or, or girl obviously yeah. because... oh no I'm not arguing like Mission Impossible Fallout was incredible without a doubt without a doubt so yeah that, um, that's my number nine that brings me to does that bring me to number eight it does doesn't it yeah. I think 
which is Sorry to Bother You, which is one we talked about fairly recently from Boots Riley. I won't go on too much because the episode's quite recent and you've probably all heard what I have to think on Sorry to Bother You. I think it's a very bold film. I think it's a very important film and I think it's a very, very well-made political film that manages to make a political point without driving it down your throat and making you bored of what it's trying to say. It's also very, very funny and has some great performances from McKean Stanfield and Tessa Thompson, and yeah, it's one of my favourite films of the year, and it's also I definitely, it's also the funniest film of the year, in my humble opinion. So yes, number eight, Sorry to Bother You from Boots Riley. Grace? My number eight is Deadpool 2. Not a very Deadpool <laughs> Christmas, which I want to forget ever It was happened. pointless, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, once Upon a Deadpool. Once Upon a Deadpool, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> it's all the same. Uh, yeah, I... I preferred this to Deadpool 1, um, and I think it it was a film for comic fans, it was a film for comedy fans, and it was a film for the X-Men franchise fans. Um, it was really well written. Um, there were a bit, some of the fourth Wally bits were a bit too kind of, a bit naff, but never mind. Juggernaut was awesome. Um kid from um i forget the actor's name and i really should learn it the from hunt for the wilder people um he was just julian julian that's it yeah yeah julian julian, julian you yeah. know who you are um, <laughs> he was he was really good julian dennison that's it yeah of course um he was really good um the action sequences were amazing and i just had a thoroughly bloody good time at the cinema watching it and had a and laughed and i kind of needed some laughs this year so thanks ryan reynolds again <laughs> You've done it. <laughs> That's my number eight. I'm, I'm so glad you put it on the list because it's a film that I barely considered for the top 10 of the year, but not even really on purpose. I think it sort of slipped out of my mind. And I had a yeah. I had an absolute blast with Deadpool 2. To be honest with you, I when I went to Deadpool, I think we reviewed it on the show, but when I went to Deadpool, the first one, my overriding feeling was just like, I can't get past how smug it is. And it, and it mm. bothers yeah. me. And I enjoyed parts of it for sure. And I like Ryan Reynolds, but... It, the second movie I just thought like was so uh, unshackled and just kind of knowingly ridiculous that that I had just a great time and Zazie Beetz yeah, no, in it is, is brilliant as well and who's the, yeah. the the stand-up comedian that that gets to be the straight straight man um oh I've completely forgotten his name now. yeah really good anyway I wish I'd written that down yeah, yeah and I think it just improved I'm with you Grace. I think it improves on the first one a lot it's got a good villain as well because the yeah. villain in the original film is poor yeah, yeah. Very mm-hmm. poor. Josh Brolin is great in this. Yeah, just yeah. Yeah, Deadpool 2 I had a whole heap of fun with. Yeah. To the point where well, we both went to see the, the Christmas recut, which is yeah. utterly, utterly pointless. Yeah. Um, and could have just been covered with some YouTube skits. And the, the yes. best uh, growing back your own legs sequence of 2018. <laughs> yes. For <laughs> yeah. sure, for that list that's coming up really soon. Really pushing boundaries, don't parachute, yeah. <laughs> don't parachute in high winds. That's probably one yeah. of my favourite scenes Absolutely. of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so number eight for me is a very different movie, a uh, very different movie. It is from uh, Wes Anderson, uh, Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs, I think, is uh, one of my favourite Wes Anderson movies. And he's a director who I kind of have very strong and sometimes uh, very strong both sort of positive and negative feelings about. Uh, this one just just kind of got me. I don't know. I just think that the attention to detail and the world building and the way that you could lift any frame of Isle of Dogs out of the movie and fr- like f- literally frame it 
and put it on your wall and it would be a lovely piece of artwork is almost enough for me. But then in addition to that, you've got really sharp writing. It's funny. The voice work is great. The kind of observational stuff about the environment in Nagasaki in Japan is is really enjoyable. Having It doesn't matter, but like I like to shoehorn it in, having lived in Asia for a few years of my life. Um, there, there's just so much to like in it that I was swept up. And I honestly would claim that if we did this list and all I could nominate from Isle of Dogs is the sequence that is shot from above and it's a man preparing sushi, that would still get on my top 10 of the year list because it was just <laughs> wonderful. So yeah, my number eight is uh, Isle of Dogs. Right, which brings me to number seven. Uh, my number seven is my, this is the highest placed and only superhero film on my list this year, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, this is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, directed by Peter Ramsey, Robert Pachetti Jr. and Rodney Rothman. I want to get all three directors in Shout there. Shout out to those this guys. Just, yeah, this <laughs> film, yeah, if you're listening, guys. Uh, yeah, this film just blew me away. As I said, I, me- I think I mentioned it last week mm. on the episode, so I won't go on too much about it, but just absolutely staggered me with just how good and how much fun this was and how unashamedly torn straight from the pages of a comic it was. I'm not the I'm not the biggest comic fan in the world. There are certainly people that know more than me, but I've read if I've read it more than most, I would say, but not as many as, as hardcore comic fans for sure. And I just felt it I just loved how unashamedly comic book it was, just how beautiful the animation was. Like in certain scenes it's just an absolute game changer. The art design was beautiful. The focus on Miles Morales really gave the Spider-Man franchise a real a real breath of fresh air and a kick up the arse I think it needed. And um, yeah, very excited to see what they do next. Uh, Grace, on to you. My number seven is Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, I think we've said um, most of, most things that we can on that film, apart from I've read Dianetics, it's all right. Oh, I have as well. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Beck's really cool. <laughs> And Elizabeth Moss is a yeah. lovely actress, so yeah, maybe it's not so yeah. bad. Yeah, Juliette Lewis is alright sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was a really good film and um, well worth the Cavill moustache CGI in Justice League. <laughs> oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, right, you're on. We're on to your number seven. Number movie, seven for me is uh, the Claire Denis movie before the Claire Denis movie that I haven't been able to see yet. High Life is not on general release uh, here, but I have put uh, Let the Sunshine in at number seven, and um, I mentioned it already. But I'm going to retread the fact that Let the Sunshine in is the just biggest travesty in English language renaming of a film that I've seen in a very long time. The title of this movie is Un Beau Soleil Intérieur or uh, a beautiful inner light. A beautiful inner light and let the sunshine in do not mean the same thing. Let the sunshine in sounds like this kind of self-helpy mantra about letting all the goodness of the world into the darkness of your soul. The movie is the opposite of that. Claire Denny, Claire Denny does not make this Right, films, the movie's the opposite yeah. of that. Like, And you saw even in the advertising a bit guilty of this because it's like, oh, Claire Denis' funniest movie in a long time. And it makes it look really frothy. The movie is about the inner light that is in a person and the way in which what you're surrounded by is often a lot of darkness darkness and and sort of double crossing and a disingenuous behavior and what you need to be able to do is like find a way to be and find a way to be content and Juliet Binoche at the center of this is trying to do that it's like a series of dating sequences a lot of this movie where 
you get to read the interplay between the characters at kind of a meta level. Like you see the kind of things that guys say when they have a particular intention in mind. And you see very much like her cogs turning as she's reacting to the men that are in her life. And at the same time as she can be um, knowing and of an age to understand the games that adults play with each other, she still has this basic human need to find love and to be loved. But it's the furthest thing from a frothy movie. I mean, the the end sequence where she's being um, interviewed uh, by Gerard Depardieu and they've had their, their own run-ins where he's described her as, as basically like a, a bad actress. Uh, having that sequence and listening in intently to what they're saying to one another and all the meta readings of that as the director just rolls the credits over the conversation is like one of my standout moments of the year I really really liked it and I can't wait for High Life and I don't know when we get in a UK release but it can't come soon enough High Life looks fantastic uh, yeah, yeah, very excited yeah that's let the, sun, let the Sunshine In or A Beautiful Inner Light which is at uh, number 7 for me <laughs> Cool. So that brings me to number six, which is a film that you mentioned that you haven't got to yet. This is First Reformed from Paul Schrader, um, based around, uh, what's the guy's name? Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke plays a priest who is going through a slightly challenging time, shall we say, if you've seen the trailer or indeed have seen the film. Um, yeah, it's just an incredibly powerful character study with a, a, just a, a masterful, masterful ending. Um, the way it's shot is it's, it's sort of beautifully sparse in what I, I suppose you probably would describe as Academy Ratio. Probably someone will pick me up on that, I'm sure. But yeah, it's a very, very sparsely shot film. The art design is very, very individual. It, it looks, it's fantastically well shot. It looks great. And I just think if you, if you can imagine a film where, and it kind of came out of it for this film, it's just like, okay, so, so like policemen, they have a, they have a hard job. They must, they deal with some shit, fire, but great. Anyone in the emergency services, soldiers, you know, there's jobs that you name that you go, okay, that would be, that would be a hard job to do. But then you sit there and think, actually, if you think about the job of a priest, People going through all kinds of horrible, horrible shit come to talk to a priest and just unload onto the priest. So what does that do to a person? And that's what First Reform really made me think is actually if you're just someone that just unloads, someone has just unloaded on with people's grief and the horrible things that happen to them, how would that make you feel as a person? And I think the film does an incredible job of showing how this takes its toll on on Ethan Hawke's, um, Ethan Hawke's minister here. And the end is just one of the most staggering pieces of cinema I've seen all year. It was just, uh, it was just fantastic. So yeah, uh, that is my, was that number six? Yes. No, so number six was first reformed by Paul Schrader. Grace, you're number six. I've got a slightly different religious film at number six, which is, um, is it Apostle? Um, the Netflix film with Dan Stevens. Does that count? Is it Apostle? Does that count? Does it count? Yeah. Can I have it? It's a film. Yeah, it's on Netflix. It came out this year. <laughs> okay. Yes, come on. Enthusiasm. You've you. got Apostle on your list, <laughs> I which I really liked and it nearly made my top ten. So yes, you are more than entitled to have Apostle okay. on your list, Grace. That's absolutely fine. Thank you so much. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I knew I was going to like this because I really, I love Dan Stevens in Legion, which is one of my favourite TV shows currently. Um, and I, I, really didn't know what I was getting into when I watched it and I loved it. I It's one of the first times in a long time that I've been genuinely creeped out and grossed out and um, the some of the camera work in this film is just so bloody good. Like the when Dan Stevens' character is escaping through like a tunnel of blood and all the close-ups and it just really got me 
just feeling really cramped and gross in my own home. Um, and the plot was was so original. Well, it wasn't original, but it was done in a way that I haven't seen before. And it had good moral messages um, and the um, colour grade was really lush. And um, I thought for a Netflix film, it was really good. And if that's the route that Netflix is going to go down, then I'm feeling quite positive about it. And and a strong contender for... Uh cinema's best drill bit to the skull sequence uh, along with yes. that movie that movie pie if you, you guys know the, the end of that that film but yeah there, there were moments in this that made me so squirmy in a, a fossil uh, both the sort of vegetation growth blood horror and the the kind of drill bit to the head section yeah i, I gen i loved apostle it, it came i possibly i would say probably if we were doing a top 20 i think apostle would, would feature yeah. on it to be fair but no i really 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 took to apostle um yeah a lot and really liked it yeah. so yeah uh yeah. pete you're number six before we break before we get to the the big the big time the top five cool. what have you got number six pete? yeah just missing out on the top five um narrowly is a film that has already been mentioned by you paul which is uh sorry to bother you from boots riley this one uh we've talked about it prob- probably enough but just to say like as you were saying and to to echo the sentiment it's really fresh and vibrant and feels kind of vital and like it's amazing that a first time feature director in this case Boots Riley can seem so confident not only in like framing stuff and writing material that's funny and feels alive but also in taking risks in not being risk averse some of the stuff that's done here feels inventive to a level that you almost grow not to expect from a first-time feature director because once you get a budget you may hedge your bets a little bit you may think this is the first step into an industry where I can then get my bigger ideas out there Boots Riley has gone in full force from the off and you know we're all the better for it I think Lakeith Stanfield's amazing in this thing Tessa Thompson is great as well uh, she's like a legitimate movie star at this point in my opinion Kate Berlant who is a stand-up comedian predominantly who plays the office administrator is really good in this movie as well and I didn't realise until I was researching this for this list the voice of the elevator going up could not be a better person it's Rosario Dawson so like oh, yeah really? okay. so like I, yeah you, you had me at Rosario Dawson is the elevator um, yeah Sorry to Bother You is is tremendous and um, if anyone missed it at the cinema catch up with it as soon as possible because like you said Paul it's really really funny one of the funniest films of the year for sure but it's also like I rewatched recently that movie Idiocracy, the Mike Judge movie. Yeah. And yeah. I like that movie a lot, but in a way, you realize that sections of that movie, and it doesn't make me like it any less, but sections of that movie are so much baggier and less tightly oh, written sure. yeah, yeah. than Sorry to Bother yeah. You. It's not to say like better or worse or judge them side by side. It just kind of reminded me how good this movie was. And not least because this is a guy making his first step into directing feature films. So, yeah, amazing. Loved it. Uh, sorry to bother you, number six. Right, so that's the break, isn't it? We'll be back after this very brief interlude with the top five. That's right, listeners, the top five of 2018. Right, so you heard my voice before the interval. You're going to hear my voice again, which is bad planning on our part. So apologies, listeners, but here we are back. We're starting with my number five, which is a film from my namesake. Every time he releases a film, it's very unlikely you won't see it on this list. This is Phantom Fred from director 
Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, not only does he have a great name, he makes great films. Um, yeah, Phantom Thread is an experience quite long, quite unlike any other. Um, I watched it for the second time the other day, and I think I was taken with it even more so than I was first time round. Um, Daniel Day Lewis's fi- supposedly final film um, as actor. Um, and supported, I'm not really supported, I suppose it's a double header with um, the superb, very relative newcomer, Vicky Creeps, who is just brilliant here. So um, Daniel Day-Lewis plays um, a, a fairly eccentric and quite demanding tailor or dressmaker, I suppose is the, the way to describe it. Uh, and Vicky Creeps is someone that I, I believe in, is initially working for him, but then he becomes, well, he meets her in a cafe, he kind of falls in love with her, she starts, she moves in with him, starts working for him. Um, he becomes, a, he's a very controlling kind of dominant character in their relationship um and then she kind of starts vicky coop's character starts i suppose uh, pete you help me out here because you've i know you've seen this she kind of starts playing it in his own game i suppose would be one way to describe it um and then the film goes in some very very bizarre and quite dark directions um and yeah it's just like again i would say it's like no other film that i've seen this year in in all honesty i'm not going to spoil where it goes but i think where it goes is is very very clever. It's exquisitely shot, and I buy like exquisitely shot. I mean, the the film is as pretty as Daniel Day Lewis's character's dresses, without a shadow of a doubt. Like it's staggeringly beautifully shot. Um, not a not a detail is missed for sure. It's just a a, a remarkable piece of cinema. Um, yeah, Pete, have I done that any justice at all? Because I know you were you were quite taken it, with it. It may well, or but... may not be on my list, Paul. So I couldn't okay, possibly right, comment. Fine, fine, we'll come back to it. Um, that's my thoughts on Phantom Thread and my number five, Grace. What have you? got number five my number five is isle of dogs because i bloody love wes anderson it's not my favorite wes anderson film but it's my number five of the year um and similarly with you pete um i've got a um i uh wrote my um thesis on japanese horror films representation of women i'm studying japanese i love japanese culture so that with wes anderson with dogs with an amazing voice cast was just like a film for me completely um and yeah i uh, the animation was so good um there was some beautiful sequences in there the soundtrack was just stunning uh and i just i just love about wes anderson's animations is that they're just so simple and you don't need like a lot of um you know computer graphic animations you don't need lots of explosions and big set pieces for there to just be a a really good story and film there so that's why that's my number five um a fun fact if we're talking about um bath cinemas the little theater cinema in bath is actually featured in fantastic mr fox in a stop motion um section because where's Ant- got married yeah, yeah. there you go <laughs> right. so there you go you've te- yeah yes because he did a recce for fantastic mr fox around bath so um that whole um Square um, in St Michael Square in Bath is featured um, in Fantastic Mr Fox, and I believe it gets set set on fire in the finale of that film. Oh, so there well, you that's go. not quite as positive, is not it? Not quite as positive, but it's quite a good stop frame animation. So, and and I mean, connectedly, I I adore Fantastic Mr Fox. Like, I, yeah. I, it was one of those that I had put off for for quite a while, and then I know that there's been criticism that it's sort of aimed at adults, but masquerades as being a movie for children or whatever. But like, take it on its own merit. It's just a fucking yeah. delight. And this it and is. Isle of Dogs is as well. And like, even little touches, rewatching little bits and pieces today. Like, uh, why are we going to help him? 
him because he's a 12 year old boy and dogs love them yeah. oh there's just so much <laughs> yeah. and people accuse Wes Anderson of being sort of cold and distant but there are undoubtedly sections of Isle of Dogs that are like genuinely heartfelt so yeah I, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it uh, but that's that's by the by because I've got to make a pick for number five number five is a movie that I caught up with as late as today uh, and it is, it's rocketed right onto my list. This is from uh, Pavel Pavlik, Pavlikovsky, let's say. Uh, Cold War. Paul, you've been waxing super lyrical about this movie for a very long time. Yeah, I was right, wasn't I? So, well, yeah, I, I felt like absolutely obliged to watch it before formulating any kind of a list. And I've got to be completely honest... I don't know if my top five would be exactly the same if I had equal time to sort of digest each film. I've had only a few hours to digest this and I felt on merit from that sort of point of view that it made this position. But maybe if I had a little bit longer, it would have been a bit higher, maybe even lower. Who knows? Um, the stuff that I want to say about it is a story essence, in essence about two people who are in love for a long period of time and just can't let go of each other. No matter how many barriers are put in their way, the story starts in the 1940s and progresses forward from there. You jump between like Poland and uh, France and the Czech Republic, I think, at one point, or you, oh, the former Soviet Union anyway, uh, at another point. But all of the while, you've just got like a a laser-focused interest on these two individuals, one of which is uh, the, the female character played by Joanna Kulig, who has this, like, otherworldly level of not only beauty, because she looks like the sort of... Her face is like the amalgamation of about five different beautiful screen women from film history. But And she's even got that, like, Cindy Crawford kind of thing going on above, like, with a sort of birthmark thing above her lip. But then also her ability to shift gears and shift tone throughout the movie and the way that she's delivering her performance. It was incredibly impressive. An actress I don't think I know from, from anything else. Um, and then you've got like this beautiful 3-4, 4-3 ratio, black and white, like super crisp photography that is, is a marvel. I mean, I said that you could take frames from Isle of Dogs and stick them on your wall. And you could take frames from this and put them in like international art galleries and they would, you know, know stand up it's it's a stunning piece of work uh, that for me just being a beautiful piece of work wouldn't be enough maybe to make my top five it has to hit me on some sort of emotional level and I did feel invested in these characters and I did feel like the relationship was authentic and the ups and downs of the relationship were believable and lastly I think the the crowning achievement of Cold War at least from from in my opinion is that Pavlikovsky has managed to do this thing where he adds to the movie by subtraction. Like, so much of the movie is on the cutting room floor. So much of what you have is purely the, the, the major details in the relationship of these people. And this is how memory works, right? Like when you remember something, you don't remember all the things. You remember the bits that stand out to you selectively because your memory works like that. So I felt like it was such an accurate portrayal about uh, of how you might remember a romantic 
involvement relationship or, or what have you so yeah i was really impressed by it um i need to watch more of his movies i feel like under research and stuff like that because i only just watched it but yeah cold war really really good um and i imagine it might be on your list as well paul it might appear somewhere on this list yes you yeah, i don't know what gives you that idea so i think i mentioned it like it must be the, the film i've mentioned the most over consecutive episodes i think of any film that i've watched since we're doing the show so uh yeah it might feature it might feature uh somewhere on this list you are correct uh, but before we get to that, which might give you a clue as to where it is, I'm torn here, to be honest. It's both Netflix films, but I'm going to go with, at number four, uh, Alex Garland's Annihilation. Um, another Netflix film uh, there, Grace. So, yes, they are allowed. Oh, That's yay. not an issue. There might be another one on this list as well, surprisingly oh. enough. Um, yeah, so this is Annihilation from Alex Garland. I may be a little bit biased here because I've I've read the book. I'm, oh, I've read the book, don't you know? Uh, and I, I, I love the source material. But this film just, just blew me away. I watched it twice back to back. Uh, wow. I, I genuinely loved it that much. And I think if ever a film is made by its last 20 minutes, Annihilation is that film. Because it just left my mind like dribbling out of my ears, but in a really, really, really good way. Um, yeah, it just hides sort of hide highbrow for one of it. That's the wrong word. Thinking science fiction rather than high. Well, fuck it. Highbrow mm. science fiction. There we go. Mm. Uh, or hi-fi. Which is a, a coin, a phrase I've just coined. Um, yeah, so yeah, thinking science fiction for sure. Um, it's it's quite progressive in its all female casting, which in fairness is taken from the book. Uh, you've got some very talented cast members here. You've got Natalie Portman and Tessa Thompson, amongst other talented cast. Oscar Isaac appears here. Um, some really really trippy visual effects. Um, a really really engaging and, and thought provoking story. Um, and again, may, again, maybe my knowledge of the book helps, and maybe that's why it's not quite as high on other people's lists. But yeah, it just just blew me away. It's, it did what sci-fi did, which just had me in just sort of stunned silence for most of it. It had me in awe of absolutely in awe of the film. And I think Alex Garland, he, you know, is going to make even if it isn't this because again I might admit I'm biased because I like the book even if it isn't this Alex Garland is going to make some incredible cinema without a shadow of a doubt he's made some very good films already Annihilation is my number four that was a good film I forgot that was this year it was yes I did fall asleep for a little bit of it but you know Maybe it was a bit too highbrow for me. We'll see. We'll see what you yeah, If your number one is what I think it is according to your notepad, then I'm gonna. That is that is not acceptable. <laughs> well, maybe my <laughs> argument for it would be. Acceptable. We'll see. We shall see. Okay. Um. So my number four is Hereditary. Um. Should I should be higher. Oh, well, it isn't. <laughs> Bloody isn't. Um. I rewatched this film again last week, and I really enjoyed it on a second watch and piecing everything together. Um. I've banged on about this film about how much i love it um i i thought the uh, the camera work going from the dolls houses into um live action is some of the most creative and awesome shots i've seen um in cinema for a long time the film was so original the performances were amazing it um a heart back to uh, 70s horror films such as uh, Suspiria and Rosemary's Baby. It, it was um, unnerving. It was shocking. Um, the use of practical effects really um, unnerved me. And um, that's why Hereditary is my number four. I don't know how much more I can say. Like for hours well, I could. Pete, at, that, at that point over the webcam, <laughs> Pete was putting up four fingers, which I don't know what that means. It, Pete, what's your number four, uh, sir? Number four for me, uh, rather originally, is Hereditary from Ariaster. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and you know, you were grumbling in the background there, Paul, that it could be higher, and it really could be higher. Like, I've moved this up and down a few positions over the time of kind of formulating this list, but 
yeah, all the stuff that Grace said, I think, is is true. Um, we talked about it on the show before as well, so we've kind of aired our views. I mean, everything from, like, the dead birds to the clicking daughter, you know, mouth click sounds to Tony Collette being just, just fascinating and, like, managing to do everything at, like, 11 out of 10 without ever seeming like she was overacting or overplaying uh, is an incredible sort of... Um, feature of this of this movie uh you've also got gabriel byrne who i think is really good as the father who's trying to hold the family together you've got what happened with this movie is that it got derailed critically into this whole debate about like oh maybe the ending of the film it, it, it kind of uh, throws everything else off because it turns into a sort of um supernatural tale i think that people need to have the ability to read subtext a little bit more clearly and to me only one guy's opinion and maybe i'm wrong or i'm overreaching but this is a deadly serious movie that's about like mental illness passed down over generations and like all that yeah, stuff on sure. the surface is there it's there but like read this like read what you're seeing at a level deeper than just finding signs and symbols that you can then put together into a like a theory piece for youtube like the guy is fucking crowned in a treehouse and like to me it hit me so hard. Like when everybody was saying, oh, that's the bit where the movie went off the rails was the bit where I just thought I might start crying and never stop. Like the, 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 <laughs> it just hit me so hard at the end because I believe and I choose to believe that Ari Aster intended that content to be there and intended for that reading to be possible and, you know, have at it. That, that That's the way that I went. And obviously, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I think it's important that you acknowledge your personal biography when you're reviewing something and what your perspective might be because we change things by looking at them and we bring different things to seeing movies and in this movie like it, it just tapped into a part of me where it, it felt very clearly a movie about the damage done by by generations before and the passing down of problems that are difficult to shake and it would yeah just it's not just a great horror movie it's a great movie and that's why it's so high on the list number four Right, number three. You thought that Cold War, right? That was quite a good-looking film, wasn't it? You're like, yeah, you bring Cold War out, and you're like, oh, that's a beautiful film. And then Alfonso Cuarón, right? He then released Roma. Now that I don't know why you've a... chosen to done this to do this bit in that accent. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't know why. I thought he's no in idea. Somerset. I don't know why. To be honest, I uh, thought my headphones. I thought my headphones had stopped working because of the fact that I got all passionate <laughs> right. about Hereditary and was met with absolute stonewall silence. I mean, I've got not that much of a bottle of wine left. I'll be honest. So that might <laughs> might be why I've done the accent there. But no, anyway. It's a good uh, anyway, yes. Uh, at number three is Alfonso Cuarón's Roma, which is one of the most staggeringly beautiful pieces of cinema I've seen in a long, long 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 time it is just stunning um i, I just yeah I, I i i wish i wish i'd seen this film in the cinema i have to say a lot of people have said this i think if i'd seen the film in the cinema it is it is topping a number of films of the year lists um and perhaps that are, that, are, that is people that have seen it in the cinema because it does just look incredible it looked quite nice on a decent sized tv but see it on the biggest screen you possibly can yeah it's, it's a staggeringly beautiful film without a shadow of a doubt but it's also an incredibly human and heartfelt film um i'd say it kind of not mimics the work of, of ozu here but it's very contemplative it shamelessly takes its time about telling the story about the characters that are in this You've got an incredible performance from um, the lady that plays um, the maid in this, whose name I'm going to look up now because I didn't do it before the film. Which is no one will know who that is anyway. So, yeah, the maid in the movie no. is, yeah, 
is probably the maid in the know. movie. The actress plays the maid in the movie who does not deserve more credit. Mirror. Not the man in the mirror, no. But she's not, uh, she's not listening to our show being like, oh, you haven't given me the credit I deserve for this. No, that's true. Yalitza Aparicio. Was it worth it? I'm not sure. No. No, probably not. But yeah, it's just a, a very, very well acted film. It's, it's, it has no, it has no, no preconception. It has no. It's, it, it takes its time about telling the story that it, it needs to take. Um, it's very, very unashamedly slow cinema, which I really, really like. And it, yeah, as I said, it's one of the best looking films you will see, and just very, very heartfelt, very, very engaging. There's some some of the best scenes of the year certainly are in this film. As a scene, the scene, the childbirth scene is is just devastating and just absolutely devastating. But then there's, there's, a, there's, a, but then at the same time, it's got these harrowing scenes that are really, really powerful, but then there's a really underlying message of hope that's in here as well. Um, and I just, yeah, it's a, I thought it was a very, very profound and very moving film. And yeah, I really need to watch it again, to be honest, because, uh, I think watching it on Netflix in the lounge for the first time is a bit of a shame. This didn't get a wider cinematic run, and I think it might have been higher up my list had I seen it in the cinema because it, it does. It's that good a film. So, um, what did you guys think of this? If you you haven't seen this, Grace, have you? Pete, what did you think? We haven't really talked about this on the show yet. I don't think. No, so. I I was going to say like I um I agree with you that like rewatching the movie is is a good idea from my my uh, point of view as well. Uh, the the honesty uh, or the honest uh, truth about about this situation is that it made number twelve for me. It didn't make my top okay. ten, and and I yeah. I would say the reason for that is as much as I'm a, a giant fan of Alfonso Caron, and I think that um it's like beyond dispute that this thing is is beautiful, and we talked briefly I think on another yeah. episode about like the way that he kind of uses static camera positions, just incredibly so, like um. Carlos Regadas or like someone like that I don't know uh, other uh, filmmakers uh, could be mentioned here as well but um, I guess the issue for me with Roma is that it felt like a movie that was um, incredibly well mounted but didn't really connect on an emotional level and then like there are I mean, I, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but there is a sequence in the movie that is a sort of needs its own trigger warning, depending on your, your you know, whether or not you've been a mother or, or, or I don't know. I think I'm giving enough of a hint. And like thinking about that at a remove from the movie, anybody putting that sequence, I it made me cry. But anybody putting that thing happening to a person would make me cry. And yes, it was it was well shot and it was well dealt with, but I, I kind of felt like about Roma that it was to be admired rather than to really, it didn't really uh, take me over as a piece of work. And it didn't, and it sounds ludicrous in a sort of like the way that people are being very reverential about this movie and maybe, you know, they're right and I'm wrong, but like it didn't connect with me in the same way that Gravity did. And I'll and I'll I'll live and die by that. Like I I yeah. I, I, no, I, I truly yeah, believe yeah, that. And, and it's not to say and that again, one's yeah, better I, or worse. It just is the way I feel. No, and I think I think more. I think more had admiration for the for the just the, the the sheer kind of technical ability on show here. Then I would agree with that. In fairness, I didn't engage with it as well as 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 much as I engaged with Cold War, for example, which again may or may not be on this list further up. Um, and running out of spaces now for it. But yeah, no, an emotion level, I didn't engage with it as much as, say, Cold War, for example, or some of the other films on the list, or or um, if Phantom Thread, for example, or, you know, even probably even Spider-Man Into the or, Spider-Verse, in fairness. But, but then, Paul, in um, my opinion, or E2 Mama Tambien, or Children yeah, of Men, yeah. or Gravity. And, like, that's kind of the issue. Like, I, I, it wasn't, like, surprising. Like, oh, geez, this guy, Alfonso Caron, can shoot a, a lovely sequence. That was, you know, no new information to me. And I had a... a, a 
for as much as you can enjoy a film of this this nature, like I enjoyed the movie a great deal. But yeah, like ultimately, I think that was the where I parted ways with how a lot of people yeah, feel I, about I, it. I don't really disagree with you, but from my perspective, it was just such a it's like a technical tour de force that that adoration has pushed it up in pushed it up to, to number three of the year because just watching it, you just you just feel like you're watching something that is almost almost possibly even perfectly made in the way that it's structured so yeah it was it's adoration more than emotional attachment that's put it up the list for me so yeah i, I don't disagree with where you're coming from um anyway without without further ado uh grace your number three please uh my number three is black Klansman. um and for one it was really awesome to see um a Spike Lee film on the big screens. I think I think that's my first Spike Lee film on the big screen. Oh, so so you didn't see the remake of Old Boy <laughs> because not on the big yeah, screen. You, no. you didn't or, miss or too the, much. No. Or the incredible no. thriller Inside Man. No, I didn't see Inside <laughs> Man. Um, but I think this film really um, kind of heart back to Spike Lee's earlier stuff and his early style of filmmaking and he kind of there are lots of sequences in this film which were definitely like this is a Spike Lee joint you know um and this movie um I liked Adam Driver in this movie and I usually hate him in everything I ever see him in which is one of the reasons I still haven't seen Silence yet because I'm like, there's oh, many God, other reasons Adam not to watch Silence Driver. and Adam Driver have you, you know, so have you seen, pa- oh, have you seen Patterson I, though don't want to see Patterson. Oh, Patterson's great. I might do really now. Really I might do really now, good. but I, really I can't, I cannot stand his blooming face usually. But in this film, Adam Driver was really good. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really interesting to see, watch a film where uh, the KKK, it was really impactful that you knew they were part of this town's community you know, it's not just like a, a, a fantastical thing. It was really like they're, they're bloody here, and and it, I've, I haven't watched a film that's gone into so much depth with this and seen the people behind the masks. So I suppose, yeah, I see what you mean. Normally, you kind of get the impression they're they're in the periphery like of bit, the community, or you know, they're out in the sticks yeah, yeah, somewhere, yeah, like carrying on in secret. So yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really um, good point. Actually, and I think it, it it really um, summed up that time. And then, yeah, like you said earlier, with that um, end sequence, and then with the um, the prince song cutting in at the end, like I was fucking bawling my eyes <laughs> out. You know, just. It was so intense. And then I think since as well, um, Spike Lee's made the music video for that Prince song to tie in with the themes of that film as well, in a way. Um, And I was really surprised when I went to see the cinema how empty the cinema was and how so few people were talking about this film. There's so, like, I think you guys are the only people I know who have seen this film. And it, I think it's just been completely overlooked in general. Um, and I think it's a really important, one of the most important films of this year, I'd say maybe of the last five years. So um, that is, yeah, my number number three. Go watch it. Yeah, no, all of that. All of that is accurate. And I think you're right. Like, I think it, it, although it's a Spike Lee film and that's a name that a lot of people know and although it got a pretty wide release it still feels like a sort of underseen movie of 2018 so yeah hopefully that can be rectified on home video and streaming and all that um, number three for me again it's another film that I caught up with really late in the day uh, this is Leave No Trace from Deborah Granick that people all know as the director of Winter's Bone that sort of launched Jennifer Lawrence into the stratosphere um, at age 17 or whatever she was when she made that 
oh, this thing, this thing did an absolute number on me. Um, there, are, there are two moments in the film or two particular sentences in the film. And Paul, you'll know because I know that you've seen this, this movie. Yeah. Uh, one of them is the sentence, uh, I know you'd stay if you could. And the other one is <laughs> the thing that's wrong with you isn't wrong with me. Um, yeah, that that one that one got me. Yeah, to say of those two, the, that one. Then, got me. like Deborah Granick, there's all this stuff in this movie that kind of sideswiped me a little bit. Um, not least the sequences that take place later in the movie around the beehive and the way that it's dealt with as a sort of um, it's a metaphor that could seem heavy-handed and sort of obvious. But the way that the guy in the in the film, like, the, okay, this is a story I think people know, but it's about father and son, and they go into the like uh, Oregon wilderness, and they're trying to live off the grid. And it seems like the father's father sort the, the 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 father's sort of propelling their journey a little bit more than the daughter, and sort of making decisions for them. But later in the movie, they join a kind of a bit like a thrown together community, a sort of. Uh, a, a halfway house, I guess, between living off the grid and on the grid. And um, at one point, the the a lady who lives there shows the the daughter, played by I think Thomasin McKenzie, is that her name, the actress. Yes. Um, it shows her how to look after bees and the way in which when you're around bees and the hive, um, although there's all this activity, you can actually begin to trust them and they can trust you and you can be safe. And then she compels her father to put his hand over the hive and feel the heat coming off it. And it just kind of like hit me hard. Like this is a guy who we learn has been um, discharged from the military. The film has, I think, quite a lot subtly or less subtly at times to say about the legacy of um, military intervention around the world and the casualties that come from those interventions. And this man is trying and struggling to connect again with organised society and with the sense that all of the activity and noise and nonsense might also offer him something that he needs in his life. The movie's also about like, how much we can ask of other people. Like, how much can I expect you to give me and how much can I give to you or how much are you expecting of me? It's this beautiful character study. And then the way that Granite like pulls it into the station at the end is so elegant and heartbreaking and and knowing. And again, I, we jokingly talked about how I defined all films being about depression and loss at some point in the future, earlier in the, the history of our show. But I mean, this is another film that is about that. And it's about when do you let someone go? When are you, when are you struggling to hang on to someone more for you than for them? And, and this can apply to many different situations in many different life stories. But Oh, this this is fantastic, fantastic piece of work. It at, at moments I thought about putting this at number one in my list. It, it's really that good. So yeah, watch it if you haven't and if you get the chance. Um, I've talked enough, Paul. What's up next? Uh, I'm not sure how I can say any more than has already been said on this film. But my number two is Hereditary from Ari Aster. Um, what else can I say that hasn't already been said by both of you two lovely people? Um, yeah, just. It, just one of those films just absolutely blew me away when I saw it in the cinema. Like it, it shook me in a way a horror film hasn't shaken me for quite some time. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a very, very powerful, incredibly well-made piece of work. And yeah, I'd echo the sentiment of what both of you, what both of you have said. And the fact it's not just a great horror film; it's a great film in its own right. And it is my number two of 2018. I won't labour the point because a lot's been said. So, Grace, your number two. My number two is Shape of Water. 
Oh, I rewatched that again the other day. I think it would probably be eleven or twelve. So it was very close, very close to breaking breaking in. I have to say, I um yeah I I really loved this film. I loved it more because loads of people didn't get it, and that I think that always makes me love a film more. Um, Guillermo del Toro is in my top five um, directors. I think he's like just such a incredible mind and visionary and the fact that this film was made because um oh i've forgotten the, i've forgotten the actress's name because i'm i'm uh but the girl who is the lead she was writing a children's book about like a little mermaid sort of children's book at the time and then he's like oh you should be in my film about a merman falling in love with a human and then that all it's it's like it couldn't have been a better backstory for how this film was to be made um it's uh amazing film uh the acting is incredible the um creature workshopness of um the sea man creature is is stunning um michael shannon is i i don't usually like him but in this film he's a really good nasty i know (laughs) i just don't (laughs) midnight special (laughs) um But yeah, um, I I I love the set design of this film. You could it it wasn't too you could believe that this was something that was happening during this time. Um, it dealt with so many issues. I love the fact that um the the lead was using um, American Sign Language, and that was really important. That whole sequence where she goes into the dream sequence and she's singing with her beloved mm. uh sea creature. Um, and I, it was just such a fantastic ride at the cinema and such a beautiful story and i i didn't think it would work but it really did and um that's what i love when i go to the cinema is just to be taken out of reality and um yeah it was it was definitely certainly a new love story for me anyway yeah i really loved uh, yeah, it i yeah. liked it a lot in fairness i said i rewatched the other day didn't quite get in the top 10 but it wasn't far off yeah to be yeah fair. uh pete what have you got at number two it's getting just, exciting guys it, it absolutely is and just that the final number just two to add to that year. like in another year i think uh shape of water could have been in, in my top 10 because i'm a huge uh, game of the fan as well and uh there's so much to like there's so much to like and all the stuff that you mentioned grace it, it absolutely rings true right. just for whatever reason it didn't like grab me as, as hard as some other things but anyway that's by the by because here is where i split the room uh number two for me is from a guy that that nobody's got an opinion on uh, lars von trier uh, number two is the house that jack built and i will defend this uh, with these statements um the house that jack built is a film that you can't possibly engage with if you see and this is first of all this isn't about getting it or not getting it but the the film can only be engaged with if you understand what it is that Lars von Trier is doing and what that is is not making a film about a serial killer really so the the film is interested in things like uh, numerology in the Bible um, I grew up uh, having little choice about uh, attending religious ceremonies for fourteen years and um, here you've got things like the way that the film has been partitioned like. Uh, um, Nymphomaniac was as well into sections with their own title cards. I think he did that a little bit in Antichrist as well. But um, these sections, there are five of them. Five is a bit uh, significant on a religious or theological level as as being the number, I believe, of God's grace. Uh, This five runs Father, Son, Spirit, uh, Creation, Redemption, which is something that is, again, important for reading the sequences that are numbered one through five. Uh, 12 is the number of years that Jack is supposedly murdering in the movie. 12 is, of course, 
religiously significant, the number of disciples uh, for a start, and, and many other mentions throughout the Bible. But then in addition, the poem or uh, nursery rhyme, the house that Jack built, should be the first thing that sticks in your mind because this nursery rhyme, the house that Jack built, is about causation. It's about what leads to the house being built, not about the house being built. The movie isn't about the murders. The movie is about what leads to the murders. And then Lars von Trier goes off on all these like asides and talks about art history and mythology and creation and masculinity. And uh, the, the simplest read I could give for people who are like, you're full of shit. There's no way this is your second favorite movie of the year <laughs> is that if you replace the character Jack with mankind and if you look at the film not as a series of horrible murders of women for no reason because Lars von Trier just likes to provoke people and instead look at look at it as a film that's about the way in which humanity has found like increasingly elaborate ways to cause suffering and to kill over generations of creativity and artwork as well that has led us to a place where we're living in the bones and rotting flesh of all the shit that's gone before all the conflict all the hate all of the the manipulation of one another and mistreatment of one another and like I, I'm getting excited because nobody wants to talk about this movie with me really but also here you have uh, the character played by Bruno Gantz uh unaccidentally being the guy who was in downfall that was obviously about the third reich yeah, and hitler and so on so yeah there's a lot here that's not not accidental um he plays a character called verge which in itself is a joke it's funny lars von trier is always talking about being on the verge of a nervous breakdown and struggling with mental illness it's quite funny but then he's also virgil virgil is the author of the iniad i mean there's there's a lot there's a lot going on but like there's a lot that culminated somewhere around 10 or 15 minutes from the end of the movie where I suddenly felt this thing sort of wash over my body and believe it or not it wasn't just smugness it was like Oh, like fucking finally, there's a movie which is giving me enough to engage with that I feel like my brain is having to work really hard because we go to see a lot of stuff where, uh, you know, and I'm all for it, but you see those movies where you go like, I've switched my brain off for that, like maybe a Mission Impossible or something like that. And it can be really fantastic. You switch your brain off or you go to see a movie where people say like, this is the really smart one. This is the intelligent movie. You know, this year uh, might be something like... Inception. Yeah, Inception or like Inception this this or year just like thinking that, about yeah, things yeah. that come out and it's not hating on them, but things like um, A Quiet Place has like a kind of clever premise. But once you get past the clever premise, there's not that much for you to engage with as much as I like the movie and it works on its own merits. Whereas like that, you could you could read and write, you know, essays on what's going on here. And that's not to say that it's all super smart. And that's not to say that Lars von Trier is necessarily a genius. But at the same time, it bothers me that the, the critical response from the general populace to a movie like this is just to go like, oh, Lars von Trier is just a provocateur and it's all meaningless bullshit. And he doesn't know what he's doing and he's just trying to shock everyone. He's a fucking smart guy. Like, even if you don't like anything he's done, engage with it on some level so yeah like i i really enjoyed this i mean it's a weird word for a film that ends in a sort of descent into the layers of hell but i did really enjoy it and i think that the matt dillon performance is like note perfect i think that some of it's genuinely funny and i think that if you have an interest in things like 
religion, art history, mythology, and all those things. It might seem an, like an awful lot of legwork, and it's not going to be for like you know a Friday night good time. But like, give it a chance. Just give it a chance because it's really good. Uh, number two. I want to. I want to give it a chance. No, I love Lars von Trier. <laughs> I'm with you. No, I'd say I take all those things on board that you said, Pete, and absolutely. And I think I, I put in my letterbox review, it's not a case of me not getting it. Just by the time it got there to its payoff, which but is great. But the payoff's great, throughout, I Paul. It's throughout. It's not... But it, for me, it wasn't there. But for, fine. But for me, it left just left me cold. The film, for me, uh, uh, compared to other Lars von Trier work, this film just left me quite cold. I, I felt disengaged with it from almost from the start I, but is I that but is that is that uh, the, the film, film or is that because you didn't engage with it because disengaged has more than one connotation i think well the other film it's the filmmaker's job no, to isn't. engage me of course it isn't of course <laughs> it isn't i no, i fundamentally yes, disagree is. i think that it's your job sometimes to do the work and i think that he puts work out there and other but not just him but people put work out there and you either it, it's not to go like oh you know, you, you're not smart. Someone's not smart enough. They don't get it just at like a, a base sort of value judgment. But sometimes I just think people need to do a bit more work. I, just, I, I really do, I do feel that way. So you're basically saying that everyone that gets it should like it. No, I'm not. I, I'm not. I think there are like. people who could have a really clear read of this movie and despise it. But I also think that I read an awful lot. Like reading through letterbox reviews of this movie just make me feel depressed about the general level of investigation of the world that that like people of uh, no, around my age have because, yeah, no, because that it's such comment, shallow yeah. discourse and it's so it's so rooted in sort of like wanting to have the first say and that's where we are now. You know, the the, the letterbox comments become like the old IMDb comments where it's just like I just want to say something and espouse, but just take a fucking minute and think about what's going on here. And it doesn't mean you're going to come back and say that it's a great movie. You might come back and say that he's a he's a you know an irritant or he is a, a kind of short sighted in the way that he represents and uses certain symbols but like don't come out of it and just say that it was a bad fucking serial killer movie because that's not what it is so i i no i i no i completely agree with you on that point it isn't just a serial killer movie it, it left me cold i struggled to engage with it maybe i should have made more effort to engage with it i've, I've conceded that but i came out of it not not particularly liking it is that because this world is built um, of suffering but... paul the world is built of suffering <laughs> from generations yeah anyway uh, i i could talk all day about this movie but i will not because we're getting on to the uh, most exciting part of today's show which is the big the big number one reveal which i think i spoiled from the week after i watched it but mm. my number one film of the year guys can you guess what it is can anyone guess what this might be you i give think me a chance it's... Ant it's Man Bumblebee. <laughs> it's not Ant Man and the Wasp. Bumblebee is well. Bumblebee was close. Uh, no, it's not Bumblebee. It's not Ant Man and the Wasp. It is, of course, Pavel Pavlovsky's. I've probably ruined his name again there. Cold War. Which Pete, you did an incredible job of summing up earlier. So I'm not going to add a great deal to that, except for the fact that this film just. I came out of this film just with like my passion for cinema like reignited all over again. It was. I have not come out of a film with this feeling for many, many, many years. It just grabbed me from the get-go. It did not let go. And it left me just coming out and I was like, I need to go and see it again. I need to go and see it again. I need to go and see it again now. And it's just, it's such a staggeringly beautifully shot film, as, as you've mentioned, Pete. Uh, the performances from Janusz Kudig and I think, is it Johan Katz or Thomas Katz? Thomas Katz. 
um, are just superb. Um, it, and it also it does all of this. It it uh, and the so the music the soundtrack is superb. There's a lot of musical numbers in this that, that are brilliant. I really want to release a vinyl of the soundtrack because I will buy it with immediate effect. Joanna Kulig's songs are incredible. Her voice is great. She is like as you say like. Uh, stunningly beautiful and and very reminiscent of sort of old school Hollywood stars in the fact that she can sing and dance and she's very very talented. In fact, after I watched this, I went out and I pre-ordered. I ought not pre-ordered. I ordered on either DVD or Blu-ray pretty much all of Pawlowski's back catalogue and completely forgotten that he directed. Um, help me out with this film here. Very early Emily Blunt film. Um, I'm I'm putting you on the spot here. Very early Emily Blunt film called Yeah Something About a Summer. Something about some my summer of love, uh, which oh, yeah. I hadn't realised he directed my summer of love oh, all okay. those many years ago, and that was one of his earlier films. And then he's done some incredible work on Last Resort with Paddy Constantine. He's a really, really interesting director. But yeah, this film just just blew me away. Just absolutely blew me away. I haven't fallen in love with a film as much as I've fallen in love with a film with this film in quite some time. And the fact that he's done all of this, the fact that he's made this this incredibly engaging, incredibly beautiful, incredibly heartfelt film, and he's done it, guys in 88 minutes like Pete you've seen this to, to get all of this into 88 minutes it's I kind of expected to go in as you said it's what it's what it, it's what the film doesn't show is is probably its strengths really and I kind of I was anticipating going into this I was like okay this is a black and white sort of art house number it's gonna be three hours long I'm writing off three hours I'm ready to do it and then I'm like is it finished already and then I think the second time I watched it I went to I went to went to the cinema again to see it um and like the 88 minute running time it felt like the film was over in 10 minutes now that for me is a film yeah. that you yeah. love like if a film feels like it's over well, yeah. in 10 minutes is a film that you are just impossibly in love it's with right i, I like, was just gonna go say on, sorry, i think that that what that spoke to for me is that like the director has faith in the audience so so many film directors pack the movie full of all this kind of um, extraneous detail to make sure that you've been sort of held by the hand and walked through the kind of emotional beats of the development of a relationship for example but like here the director just trusts that your mind is working to fill in the blanks in between it's the kind of thing Lars von Trier would do to be fair yeah <laughs> well yeah, fair enough yeah uh, yeah and anyway last one sure i don't hate it i like some of his films we're not getting back to that no, anyway. he's had enough but time I'm, I'm talking passionately about cold war yeah he's had <laughs> enough time yeah um yeah but cold war just just beautiful and I, I i if we if we come back here in in five years time if we're still sitting here in five years time and you ask me one of my, my top 10 films of the last five or possibly 10 years i genuinely think cold war will probably still be on there it just it's one of those films that just grabbed me and did not let me go. And I cannot praise that film highly enough. It's just a staggering piece of cinema, a monumental achievement, and far and away my number one film of 2018, if not of the last five or ten years. Uh, Grace, step up to that. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you looked over at my notepad and you were very smug about it. But um, my number one isn't because I think it's the most... Um, important film or the best acted film or the most original film but it is because it's important to me and I think important to cinema and filmmaking and what has been achieved with the build-up and as superhero stuff goes this year if I could have put um, the Daredevil Netflix series as my number one if that was you know that if that had come out as a Pete, film Pete does that I'm surprised he hasn't I, put a TV I, series in <laughs> I, I would have done because that was phenomenal but yeah my my number one is Avengers Infinity War and I've got points to argue about why I think it is a valid choice um, the fact that the Russo brothers have um, 
managed to weave all of these eclectic characters' um, plots and give everyone equal screen time and make everything slot in so well and it not get confused. And the fact that each of these um, characters come from very different directed voices as well and then can blend them all in is um, amazing. The, um, the action sequences are just some that have not been seen on screen before and I think sometimes when you're going to the cinema you want the cinema experience you want to be amazed but just what film can do you know I mean it's um it can take you out of reality and put you in a kind of sweet shop or a or a fairground ride or something you know um I think the performances were superb um not all of them were great, but the um, particularly the I think a lot of people um, felt the relationship between um, Peter Parker and Tony Stark like a really poignant one, and I I loved um, Thanos as Just a character. Thanos' character is brilliant. You know the that, pathos yeah. of that guy, the fact that you he that is a time um, a, a time old tale where someone wants to you know eradicate most of the human race to rebuild the earth again for the sake of mankind and the sake of the universe you understood why he wanted to do it but you were very conflicted by that the relationship with Gamora the whole space sequences were like the modern day 2001 in a way um I found that with Doctor Strange in points as well and the fact that it wasn't a happy ending for a superhero movie. It was really bleak. And I was sat there because I think a lot of, in, in the screening I first went to, the midnight screening, I think a lot of people came along because they'd just seen Black Panther and hadn't maybe necessarily been involved in superhero movies up to this point. And they were shocked that when he clipped his fingers, half everyone died. And then when Black Panther was like ashed away, they were like, no, what are you doing? Like just really confused. Um, and that silence... I I just thought I hadn't been in a cinema and had that experience where everyone was just like bloody hell, you know, and it's been building up for so long. So that's why I know it's not the most culturally great film to choose or the most, you know, art house. And there's a lot of brilliant movies which are probably worthy of that title as number one. But for me, that whole experience made it my number one. If that makes Good. sense. No, I, honestly, it's the best policy, and I, I really, really like Infinity War. Yeah. Don't get me wrong; I was half joking when I looked at yeah, the yeah. notepad. But, but yeah, absolutely, really this, this I, I mean, to my mind, anyway, this isn't top ten culturally significant, artsy, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. valuable yeah, movies of the year. Because fuck that! Like, I have no interest in that. So I think that, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what whatever <laughs> stuck out is what should be there, and and yeah, it, I'm the first person to like. Um, premise all of my discussions particularly with Paul on this show about superhero movies by saying like oh I'm not a superhero movie guy and I don't really know about the lore and I didn't read the comic books and stuff <laughs> and like I, I really enjoyed Infinity yeah. War I, I had a great time with it and I think you're absolutely right that like to to have the kind of the balls for want of a better word to finish on this kind of sinister sort of slightly haunting note was something that yeah you're just not used to seeing when it comes to that, that kind of movie. Have you seen it twice I yet? I have not no I saw it once in the cinema I haven't Oh, right, really? For me, it really, really. I enjoyed it a lot more second time round. I have to yeah, say, it did, really, really yeah. improved on second viewing. Mm. So you should, you should definitely should, because something clicked more with me. Definitely clicked mm. more with me second time. I think maybe the weight of expectation about what you're where, expecting is kind of yeah. not that you have to have a specific number, Paul. But where did this fall? Like, you know, obviously not in your top ten because you've listed that, but like 
close. Yeah, I'd say I didn't. I didn't quite go as far as sort of labelling everything below ten, but I would say top twenty. Yeah, I'd say probably probably top twenty. It certainly would be well. Perhaps when it comes mm. to honourable mentions, it might come up. No, it would have. Mm. I'd say top twenty. Yeah, definitely. Because on second viewing, I think I remember seeing it on the on the show. I just I watched it at home, and I was just like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> That was really good. Mission Impossible uh, Fallout probably edged it off the list, to be honest. Um, but not by a great margin. Anyway, Pete. Number one. I, yeah, Paul, I think you know it already. Uh, so I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, Phantom Thread is my number one. It was number one at halfway in the year. It's number one at the end of the year. Uh, I love P.T. Anderson, but like that's not enough to just stick his movie at the top of the list. Um, although like when I think about Inherent Vice, I just get like a little bit uh, overwhelmed with how much I love that as well. But um, yeah, Phantom Thread like is this movie that knows what it is and um, the director knows exactly that the movie that he's making. And loads of this movie, like the Lars von Trier movie, I keep shoehorning that in is like deliberately and knowingly funny like there are things in this that seem like this really starchy drama about an insufferable solipsistic guy just as if they're like straight down the line but they're actually jokes and there's a lot of humour here like Leslie Mann in the movie as uh, Woodcock's <laughs> sister uh, being sort of so subdued but also like brutal in the way that she deals with him was a, a standout for me. As you said, Paul, Vicky Creeps is amazing. Like came from basically nowhere in my estimation to to go like toe to toe with one of the the best arguably best living That's actors. Leslie Manville. Sorry to pick you up there, but Leslie Manville, not not Leslie Mann. Sorry, yeah, I, I, no I, I, I'm to, forever um, uh, apologetic for that slip. Um, yeah, a, apart from that, like unlike my reviews, everything in this is sort of stitched into place with the precision of Woodcock's own designs, right? But like also those designs and those dresses constrict all the women that wear them into this like really unnatural, uncomfortable way of living. And that's exactly what's happening with the characters here as well. Like the characters are drawn together by their own inability to connect with other human beings. And that's the only reason that they're around each other. Also in the top five that we're probably not going to do by the end of the year, this has the best breakfast ordering sequence of 2018 without... <laughs> any shadow of a doubt uh, for a hungry boy a hungry boy um, yeah I, don't, I just love it and like the more I think about not only this movie but P.T. Anderson in general it blows my mind that like I will fight you on the fact that everything in his back catalogue is at, at minimum great like at minimum great Hard Eight is a great movie and from that point you've got just a run of great movies and then when it like when it really hits peak Though they're some of the best movies made in the last, you know, couple What's of Pete couple of Pete Anderson, or is that is that too is that too much of a question for now? For me, it's there will be blood. Personally. Yeah, it it might it might be it might be there will be blood. Um, I need to go back and watch that again soon. But like, I just think that so even if like in isolation, if I said like in isolation, I believe each of his movies to be sort of eight or nine out of ten. Who is another filmmaker in like? making movies today who has such a high hit rate and not hit rate in terms of doing like huge box office necessarily but just making Denny stuff of, of such great quality oh i'd argue that one but that's for another show um yeah i i, I loved phantom thread and i saw this like ages ago i mean i don't know when this came out like first quarter maybe it was very early January, I think, or possibly January, February. right. So, like, testament to February how it came good... out, because it was just when I moved to Bath. I saw it here. It was one of the first films I saw here, so it would have been February. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, testament to how good of a movie that 
I believe it to be is that like it's stuck in my head all that time. One of the movies that got bumped and we're coming on to honorable mentions. One of the movies that got bumped is Lady Bird. And I think the only reason it got bumped is because I saw it so early in the year because it probably deserves to be in the top 10, but isn't just probably from the passing of time and forgetfulness and stuff. But yeah, Phantom Thread is great. And um, I will watch it again and again, uh, periodically over the next years of my life. Um, so we Good. wanted to well let's, well, let's jump into honorable mentions. You've started it. So we may as well may as well jump into it. So Lady Bird again, actually, I'm glad you brought up Lady Bird because Lady Bird probably top 15 for me. So I rewatched this midway through the year and I, people who follow us on Instagram will be aware I made quite a public apology to everyone involved in Lady Bird and co-host Pete uh, because I got it wrong with my initial review of Lady Bird and Lady Bird is a fantastic film. Um, and came very, very close to jumping into the, the top 10 list. Uh, other honourable mentions, I'll whip through them quite quickly. Bumblebee, may, only because we finally have a decent Transformers movie. Um, Dogman came very close to my list. That's a harrowing piece of cinema, a very, very well put together film. Uh, Shoplifters is superb. Didn't quite make it in. See that if you can. Um, what else is honourable mention? Anyone else want to jump in? Yeah, I've got um, a couple of uh, uh, documentaries that I saw this year. So I saw, um, uh, excuse the pronunciation, but Ne Perzan, which is um, a Scottish South American uh, documentary about um, some uh, uh, engineers uh, during the Chilean um, crisis who refused to um, work on uh, the engines for Rolls Royce. And it was them visiting the finding the Rolls Royce engines again it was really moving um very uh, small budget uh documentary and half the picture um Amy um Adrian's uh film about female filmmakers and why they only make up uh like tiny percent of the uh, uh film industry um Hotel Artemis was knocked off my top 10 list but I thought that was a really cool film uh Jodie Foster was really refreshing in that film and I really liked that kind of dystopian future-ness to it um and the other film I wanted to mention was Chow Chow a Chinese film about a girl who comes back from the city to her house in the country with her family and that was like a really nice little microscope under rural life um and culture in china and also searching which um after i just like hated dark web i thought searching actually got that using a computer right and that was worth seeing on the big screen. yeah yeah i would second that searching was number 15 yeah, searching was good yeah. searching was number 15 searching on my list good. for what it's worth but like i really think that people underestimated that movie i i seeing it in the cinema i don't know it, it, i again this doesn't seem like a great barometer because i sound like i feel like i'm saying i cry at everything but it made me cry multiple times and the the ability that that movie had to to do that sequence all about the um the life and and death of the mother which is no spoiler for the movie but uh do that purely looking at like moving around icons on a desktop I just thought was something to to you know really pay attention to because like you said technology can be depicted on screen in sort of really lazy boring ways um apart from that Andrew Haig's movie Leon Pete which was the follow-up to 45 years is terrific and also has another gets real dusty in the front room sequence in it uh the Jean-Luc Godard movie The Image Book which I think is still on movie is um that kind of hard work but is worth the effort I think um we haven't even mentioned this but uh the Steve McQueen movie Widows uh had one of my favorite sequences of the whole year which was the Colin Farrell um you know windscreen camera yeah. <laughs> moving through from 
bourgeois to sort of, well, the other way around, from sort of uh, low rent to bourgeois accommodation in a single city. Amazing, that sequence, I thought. Uh, loads of First Man, as much as it didn't make the list, like loads of First Man I really liked. I wish that uh, Damien Chazelle had a bit more of like a beating human heart, but like, it's about space and really well yeah. made, so I liked it. And the moon landing is beautiful. The moon landing is it's astonishing, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. Thoroughbreds, which is one that was early in the year, but really good, worth checking out. And then just like a couple of British movies as well. Um, Ghost Stories, I think, is underplayed. Uh, I don't know, Grace, have you seen this? Uh, Ghost Stories? No, I really want to see Ghost it's, Stories. It's excellent. It. Like, again, I hear oh, I very little Ghost talk about it. This year. Really I thought good. it was earlier. Ghost no. Stories is great. Yeah, if really you haven't seen good. Ghost Stories. Yeah. Yeah, do not pass go, go- do not collect £200, watch Ghost <laughs> Stories, like, it's great. Ghost Stories uh, is really good. Uh, Dark River, the uh, Cleo Bernard movie, uh, the woman oh, who yeah, made yeah. Uh, The Selfish Giant, uh, is very good. Um, also, Beast is good, which I think is one that was sort of... Uh, still haven't uh, caught up with Beast. Still haven't now, Beast. what's his face? The guy out of it, Johnny whatever, is doing that Cineworld advert, and so now I've grown to despise him, but he's <laughs> he's really good in this in this movie, and the, the girl in it's great as well. And then, like, the comedy movies, Paul, that we talked about, things like Blockers yes. and Game Night. Uh, yeah, Blockers and really, Game Night really definitely cool. make my list, for sure. They're really good. Uh, Pincushion, if you haven't seen Pincushion yet, check that I out. I really want to um, see that one. <coughs> Deborah Haywood, uh, that's great. Uh, would have probably made my top 20. Coco, um, which did come out in the UK this year. If you haven't seen Coco yet, Pixar effort, incredible film, just pipped out probably by Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, to be fair. Uh, what else has been great this year? Calibre. Calibre's really know. good and is on Netflix. Calibre's really good. That's on Netflix. So anyone can see that. Climax, the Gaspinari one. Pete, you will love it. There's no doubt in my mind. The dance scenes have been incredible. Um, Suspiria, the, re- the remake of Suspiria wasn't too bad either, in fairness. I quite enjoy it. It's well worth watching how much I liked it. I'm, I'm, the jury's out, but it's certainly an intriguing piece of cinema and definitely, definitely one of the better remakes out there. Um, and oh, they, they shall not grow old as well. The Peter Jackson World War One documentary. If you haven't seen that yet, see it. It's incredible with colorized footage of World War One. It's great. We we Sorry, haven't Pete, we haven't amongst the three of us managed to mention even once uh, Black Panther, which was a really really good example of a superhero movie. I think this year. Or the hate you oh, give. The hate so you give. Hype. Yeah, the hate yeah. you give definitely underplayed. Um, Tully, I think, got buried, but like Tully, I thought was really good. Uh, I Tonya seems like a hundred years ago, but that came out this year. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot like. There, the Escape that we talked about the other week, Paul, that's that's good as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Tau? Oh, no, wait, sorry. <laughs> yeah, maybe not as much uh, on, on Tau. Uh, I, I, I maybe mentioned it on the last show, but Crazy Rich Asians is the kind of movie that I think a load of people will avoid on some sense that it's not going to be for them. But um, if nothing else, go for Aquafina and then go to YouTube and watch all her hip-hop videos because she just seems like cool as hell. So uh, I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, so there's tons this year. It's a good year, wasn't it, Grace? It's an amazing year in films. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Grace is coming and saying it's really bad. It's, oh, yeah, this is good. This is quite good as well. Yeah. This is quite good. I think just in um, comparison with the year before where I was like, I can't choose. I think it was just more of a difficult, um, uh, easier decision this year. Yeah, I, I kind of know what you mean. Like, I, I had the feeling that I had this whole group of, like, good to sort of really good films but maybe not as many that I could say these are great and these are going to sort of stand the test of time but I think there are certainly you know a half dozen of those Can on I just quickly throw and Mary and the Witch's Flower as well uh, which I believe came out in 2018 oh, this yeah, year which is yeah Mary and the Witch's Flower was uh, just blew me away staggering uh, Japanese animation from a new studio that oh, you, I think from set up with X Studio Ghibli yeah. guys so that's worth a watch if you haven't yeah. seen it Sorry, and, I just wanted and to, one that, the, 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 the Strangest Podcast has covered but like don't miss out on it um, 
um, if you know you don't hear it on lists and stuff. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs has got loads of great stuff in it. It just maybe doesn't all cohere together into something that you'll remember for the rest of your life. But like, it's really good. It's really enjoyable. And if you like the Coen Brothers, don't miss that because it's available on on Netflix for everyone. Um, so yeah, like quite a lot, quite a lot of good stuff. Good good year, I think overall generally. Um, but we, I think we're done for this year in terms of this show. Yeah, you make yeah. it sound like <laughs> yes, we are done. There's not many days show. left. There's not many days left for us to record another show between now and the year. So I think are we back next? This so this show will go up this week, and then we'll be back the week after. Does that work for everyone? Yeah, if, happy with if, that. Yeah, if everyone can bear the wait, um, we will be back in like a, <laughs> a week's time. But we'll be back also in a year's time, way ahead in the future in in 2019. Goodness knows how can it compete with 2018? Everything in terms of like society and politics and stuff went really well in 2018. So hopefully that's just going to continue yeah. in 2019, exactly, yeah. and we'll yeah. get we'll get lots of because like look at the movies that some of the movies we pick like. Look at how content and relaxed everyone is making these movies about, uh, yeah, all kinds of upheaval and difficulty. But yeah, I look forward to the next year of this show as well as the next year of sort of unfolding events. So um, yeah, we'll be back soon, I guess. Any last words, yeah. Paul? Uh, no, uh, Cold War. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, to cap. So, so our three were, uh, Paul went for Cold War. I went for Phantom Thread. And Grace went for Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War. So I think yeah. it's... A- Only because I couldn't choose my own film. Grace, see, li- see, listeners can't see this at home, is what's happened over the course of the show is that when Grace arrived, her hair was kind of all very much in place. And as Grace has got more more excited <gasps> as her top ten has gone up, her hair has just gone wild. Yeah, yeah, so it, yeah. it feels like it feels like that her hair has followed the top ten yeah, to the point crazy. of Infinity War. It's just gone all over the shop now. Oh my so, God, yeah. and I've so got a little answer. insight into behind the scenes of Strangers in a Cinema. <laughs> well, well like, like that movie, we're all going to dissolve and drift away for 2018, but we will like coagulate back into some form of a show. So- Endgame. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, and thank you for listening in 2018. Uh, by all means, tell us whether we were right or wrong. Tell Pete why he's wrong about the house that Jack built, and is you are allowed not to like it. It's okay. Uh, and yes, to tell us what you think of our top tens. Post your own top tens if we get this out there in time. And in fact, we will we'll do our best to um, put together a list in the top ten if you want to get involved in the top tens of 2018. You are more than welcome to. In the meantime, you can find us on at Stranger Cinema. Straight on Twitter, Strange in Cinema on Instagram. Anything else from anyone? Pete? No, I'm done. I'm exhausted. I want to go out. Good. Right. Goodbye. <laughs> See ya. Shut up and sit down.